Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What you doing? Trying on glasses with Zenny's 3D Virtual Try-On. Wow, that's pretty cool. But those glasses kind of make you look like your Uncle Bob. Oh, not exactly the look I was going for. Um, okay, how about these clear glasses? Oh, or these round ones? Very on trend. I like both on you. You know, I also like these aviator sunglasses. Wait, are those the actual prices? I say get all of them. Seriously, why not, right? Oh, now I want new glasses. Zenni.com. Quality prescription glasses starting at six ninety five. episode of 2020 it's the best songs of the year wow i can't believe it i can't believe craig fitzpatrick it's been a year we've made it 2020 is almost over and it's the most wonderful time of the year some people might say yeah (laughs) yeah i love it how are you feeling i'm feeling great i finished work today Um, you sound wildly depressed (laughs) (laughs) this is me in like casual relaxed mode yeah all sedate. No, I'm good. I'm hyped. Okay. A lot of music to get through. I thought we were done with it, but no, we've got lists. we got lists. And I guess like a, a quick explainer of the format, first of all, because the way it works, I mean, it's a, you could say it's probably a flawed system, an imperfect system, Meh. but uh, it's the best we can do, I think, ultimately. Like, we, we kind of pool. We're really downplaying this at the start. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we pool our resources and we kind of have like a, like it's like a ballot situation, like the American election or the Irish election. And you kind of see what comes out on top. The way that the, this list and the next list will be structured is as follows. We will be listing down from 20 to 6 based on a voting system. Songs got points, etc. And then when we get to the top five, uh, I guess, you know, like we didn't, we, we brought this in a while ago with Dahi, but like it's reflective of our current top five thing, I suppose, to a degree. So the way it'll work is that like we know our top five, 
but we don't know the order. We don't know what, like, quote-unquote, won, what got the most points in advance. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a choice music prize style debate about it when we get to the five. We'll list them alphabetically and we'll talk about the merits and demerits thereof and we'll try and get a five, four, three, two, one, and see ultimately who is the champion of music for 2020 from a no-encore perspective. And as you, as was noted previously, you know, like we've done this previously with uh, Colin Morrigan, we've done it with Dahio Droni, we felt that having three voices and three informed opinions in the mix was the best way to go. But this year, it's just going to be the two of us. And so myself and Craig are here for the next, I guess, hour and a half, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah. If only a third person was here. <laughs> Hang on. What was that? What was that? Oh my goodness, Corner of the studio. That cough obviously wasn't coronavirus as well. That was just a... I would hope not. It was just a, hello, I'm here. Ladies and gentlemen. Controversial <laughs> right from the off. <laughs> you know her. You know that voice from this very show. You know Zara Hedeman from the Irish Times, from RT Arena, from Live from Gorilla Studios, from Totally Dublin, from all kinds of incredible misadventures on this podcast. I've already said your name. It's Zara Hederman. Thank <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Zara. Thank you. I thought, Dave, you were about to start launching into Dana, all kinds of everything there. Um, this no. is not that no, kind of podcast. Right, okay. no. I'm not, like, maybe at the end, we'll see how this goes. I, I have sang more this year, I suppose, but like, yeah, good, I, yeah. it depends on the On, on the, song. the show. Yeah. How many of the yeah. songs from our top 20 okay. have you been singing? Um... Lots of them, and I guess we'll we'll find out what the story is there. Is that your I method? Mean, You'd sing them in the shower, and like if it's, if the reverb was great, if it was really working for you. It's like okay, it's my number one. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you guys find it? How did you guys find submitting your list, Zara, this year? Um, I really liked this way of operating a list. I've never done this before. Um, I found it really fun. Um, very actually kind of stressful. Um, because. I didn't really, I kind of was going at it from a couple of different angles before I settled on my approach to it. So initially I was like, okay, am I going my own personal top 20? Am I going a top 20 that encompasses the year? Am I going the no encore, no top 20? So, you know, a lot of, Craig, as you would know, post-rock. So a lot of rubbish, (laughs) I thought you were going to (laughs) say. But in the end, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to go for... The Zara Hederman cut. Um, really enjoyed putting that together. And it was actually really nice, I found, doing these lists because just a reminder of how many great Irish songs and albums came out this Spoiler year. Spoiler alert, but you're okay. Just no. 2020's <laughs> over, Craig. We know those albums have been released. <laughs> Craig from the future and the past. Um, but no, I really enjoyed it. I'm very... Ner- not nervous, but I'm apprehensive about the top fives because... I just want to come away from this room still friends with all three of you. Has that ever happened though? I mean, yeah, like, no, I feel, we've had many a fight where we haven't talked for a uh, while. Yeah, there's like Craig one, and I are always one big one. Good, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like uh, there's a, there's a Q and A episode out now on our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/NoOnCore. If you'd like to help us out, if you want to help us support the show, thank you so much, legitimately, to everyone who has done so this year. Uh, it's been a big year for the show. I mean, I've said it, I'm, I'm blue in the face saying it, but ultimately, I think we managed to kind of rise to the occasion in a difficult year. Uh, I think the show is better than ever. I hope it is. Let us know if it isn't, but just be polite about it. Um, but essentially, like, you know, it's... Um, Watch your manners, for God's sake. It's Christmas. <laughs> Watch your fucking mouth, yeah? Um, part one of the Q&A is up now. And, uh, like, there's kind of, I guess, reference points all over the gaff that kind of factor in at one stage. It might even be actually be in part two, which is coming Christmas Day, where we're asked if Craig and I have ever had a, a musical-related fallout. And I was like, we we haven't. But Zara Hedeman and I did fall out for uh, several months. Yeah. And it was it was precipitated about music. But we'll talk about that some other time the point is 
Patreon.com slash Nwankor if you want to help us support the show. Uh, we would love that. You get bonus episodes, you get episode previews, you get playlists every week and so on. Uh, we will be back after these two episodes middle of January, look, looking like January the 14th. At the moment, we're going to take a short break, shorter than last year. And once again, thank you for your support. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best way to let people know about the show. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Craig, how did you find putting lists together this listimus? It's always tricky. Um, it was a stacked year. I'd completely forgotten everything we'd reviewed and most of the year just completely wiped away. Also, the fact this was like lockdown year, I've no real memories associated to. There's no like a big events. There's no like, oh, I remember that at the festival or like this really giddy evening I had hanging out and listening to such and such an album. It was all like headphone listens on my laptop at home. Um, so yeah, I had to actually just listen to the music, man. Really get back to basics, you know, why we started this podcast in the beginning. Um, it was a struggle because like this always feels like it's a bit of a like friend hang, but it's also kind of like end of year exams. And I've kind of forgotten all the notes I've prepped. Um, just how did it. you find it? I, th- I think you should just wing it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, like, look, lists are arbitrary. I, I understand the opposition to them, but also I think that ultimately uh, these lists tend to reflect, you know, our own personal tastes. And I hope that they will be recommends. I hope people will listen to them and come away with discoveries. Uh, I think actually that was a big aspect of it for me this year, despite the fact that we were all fucking boxed into our various individual gilded cages. Uh, it was a situation where a lot of the stuff that's high up for me this year is new stuff, uh, both songs and albums. And that came from just, I guess, trying to find new stuff rather than just outside the realms of the podcast and the yeah. albums we review and such. Um, and I really hope that that translates for listeners. I hope people come away from this hearing stuff they'd never heard before. Um, and if not, well, I can't really help you then, can I? Um, so ultimately, we'll just... Very aggro <laughs> I'm just getting ready. I'm getting ready for the top five because I think there's going to be I think there's going to be some serious fucking disagreements when we get to these top fives. Again, it's a group think, you know, like you know what it's like to, to try and brainstorm amongst a collective. Craig, it's uh, it, it, not yeah. everyone's always happy, right? You know, it's for sure hard to find that perfect compromise. I'm not sure we will, but we'll do our best. Craig, Last year was emotional, but I think we kind of worked together on the top five rather than falling out over like certain placings and things. Yeah, I wonder will it be the same this year? year? We've got a rose wild, wild card. card. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, let's let's not fucking dance around it any longer. Let's get going. Number twenty. Kicking the list off this year. What a year it's been for Pillow Queens. That song is called Handsome Wife, taken from the album In Waiting. Uh, we Sometimes when we do these lists, you come away with like ties or you have a situation where you might have a couple of songs at the bottom of the list that you need to kind of, a couple gotta go, basically. And that's what happened. Craig and I and Zara had a, a lengthy Zoom call in advance that we all thought would take like five, ten minutes. Yeah. It was almost an hour, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> And a big part of it was we, but with the album as well. When we get when we get to the albums, I mean, like there was kind of like, okay, well, look, we have it's a twenty. We're not doing the top twenty-five. A couple of things got to go, and um, we won't necessarily name what 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 didn't make it. But it was it was a bit of a debate, and this was in there. Ultimately, Pillow Queen's Handsome Wife is what we went with. Um, should say at the moment, of course, you know, uh, Sarah Cork in particular, friend of the show, but they're here on merit. Um, I think they've been one of the big Irish success stories of the year. 
and it felt right. I guess like we didn't have a definitive like, and we don't do that. Well, they're Irish, therefore they must mm. get in thing or whatever. But this, I think we did, and this could be one of the rare instances in which we do. But I think we managed to unanimously agree on this one, Zara. Yeah, it was a a fun one when we were talking about the three songs and which one to go with. And I think ultimately with this song, um, it was, I think what brought us together on really going for it was that this was such a great reintroduction to Pillow Queens. Obviously they um, had an EP out back in like, was it 2018 or so? I feel like it was around then. Um, And I remember hearing it, liking it, but when I heard Handsome Eye for the first time, I was completely blown away by it. I just thought the the maturation of their sound was just astonishing. Um, their hooks, as you heard there, are so propulsive, so immediate. Um, I find that any time that this song comes on, I get completely swept up in it. Uh, the instrumentation's great. I love the like choral harmonies as well in it. Um, so yeah, from that kind of perspective, I just thought it was a real no-brainer to have this in because of the year they've had and they're just really good. Yeah, we probably all have like slightly different favourites depending on the time, like from the album, but this was definitely the track that we all agreed on. And it does feel like it was a big calling card like for their return, but now it feels almost like a, a standard, not like, mm. you know, a standard song, but it just feels like it's been around forever at this mm. moment. It's just so indelible. And personally, like this year working from home, not talking to people a huge amount except over Zoom. I like got back into listening to like BBC Six Music and stuff just during the day, during the working day, for like human voices and stuff. And this was played incessantly across Six Music and every time it came on I would be like, Yeah, it's on like, <laughs> I would actually shout in my house, Yeah, it's like, on Open the door to your family. <laughs> guys, guys, get in. And then play I, had, I would have a minor serotonin rush, but it was always very, very welcome, so it's great. And yeah, it's right up my street. Mm. Uh the riff is class. It's like it's a so don't good. look back into the sun channeled through James C. and Branfield's guitar lyrics are great kind of subtle colloquialisms and uh, there's real stories kind of packed into this with the door to mm-hmm. them kind of slightly ajar it's yeah. an anthem it's great it's yeah. very good yeah and it's nice to kick off the list with an anthem like something that we can all just kind of get behind and, and propel us forward yeah. and uh, if you want to hear more about that track and in fact every track on In Waiting by Pillow Queens go back through your No Encore feed to our track by track episode with the band from September I believe it was and it was a great great time indeed now we'll press on ridiculously smooth <laughs> he still got it. I can't wait in the for midst all my of this. I mean, look, let's just see if I can keep it up. Number 19. So that was, of course, Code Orange with Underneath. Probably my track of the... No. <laughs> Dave, did you pick this one? I might have, yeah. Um, no prizes for guessing, listener. This is Code Orange, yeah. Uh, perhaps a hipster-approved metalcore outfit. Um, yeah. Though Pitchfork, who were once kind of championing them, uh, did ultimately slam the resulting album of the same name here. This song, Underneath, came out in January, like 10 days into January or something. I remember... Um, I was recording the No Popcorn episode of Cats and I was feeling very, oh, oh yeah. like How could you forget? Totally. I mean, I, I left Higgs's gaff, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, it was like the streets of Dublin, very grey and I was in a state of disarray, really, strolling around town 
And um, I saw that this was out. I whacked it on and I liked it well enough. But I, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like Code Orange, they're an interesting band because they've been around, they've been on the rise for a while. Again, like they're kind of like, like I said, like the, the Pitchfork approved, the Stereogum approved uh, metal band of, 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 the, of, the, of the now, you know. Um, they've been endorsed by the likes of Slipknot. They've mm. got a professional wrestling association because they popped up on NXT a few times. Triple H's favourite new band, you know, back when that was like a cool thing to do. Um, and ultimately, I've liked them. They had an album called Forever a few years ago that kind of got a lot of good critical notices. And I was very hyped for this. And ultimately, I was like, I think with the album as well, I think it is a good album. I think it's a bit too overwhelming at times. And this song, when I first heard it, I was like, yeah, it's a bit of fun, but I'm not really feeling, I'm not really feeling like an emotional connection to it. But ultimately, I, this one of the reasons that why this is here is because a lot of songs have stayed with me this year that I didn't think would. And this one has actually stayed with me for like the fucking calendar year. Mm. And it is that kind of shot of adrenaline that I love and that I need. I love that chorus. I think it is a bit workmanlike in places, but the chorus, when it comes in, I'm like, look, it's just taking all those Dave Hanrady boxes, you know? I mean, like it doesn't reinvent the wheel, um, but it is that kind of strong serotonin kick that, you know, it was desperately needed. Like we had Richard Chambers <laughs> on the show recently talking about fucking, you know, Motorhead doing wrestling teams <laughs> and how he was going to that throughout the year to like kind of, you know, pick himself up. And I guess everyone had those little kind of anthems. And yeah, Code Orange underneath for me. Absolutely. Will you be adding it to your playlist, Craig? Or, or Zara Hedman? <laughs> Will this be going into your... Do you know what? Actually, when I stuck it on, because um, Craig so graciously made a playlist of all the songs. Thank you so Very much, well. Craig. So graciously. No um, legend. Legend. Oh. Didn't mind whatsoever. No one else was volunteering. So it all be a nice guy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when I um, when I stuck this song on in particular, it was an early morning. It was a very crisp morning, and it just like kicked in. And immediately, I was brought to death grips. It really reminded me of like that kind of real industrial, scuzzy, like hardcore, very claustrophobic beat. And then the more I listened to it, um, it I felt like it was a real kind of almost mashup then of death grips and grimes. Oh, interesting. A little bit. Like, it just had those kind of, like, certain elements to it. And, like, well, yeah, like, Dave, I know I... Ch- um, <laughs> slag me off a lot about go my taste music. Go ahead, Zara. Get no, it slag out. you off is too harsh. Um, I Politely jeer you. I jeer you a bit. Jest. Yeah. I jest. Yeah. Jest. Yeah. Yeah. Listener, you know? um, about your, like, 15-year-old boy music taste. Jesus. <laughs> Making it better. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Let her finish. Um, but you know what? Like, there were aspects to this song that I did kind of enjoy more so the instrumentation than like the lyrical content to it would I put it on a playlist no would it was I a long time to get to that answer <laughs> <laughs> I'm here all night um, but I definitely would I think if it came on in a shuffle scenario I think I would keep it on I think it was in like an underground nightclub yeah <laughs> in like, Berlin <laughs> yeah I mean like fucking end this pandemic now and let's do this oh yeah totally um, I enjoy it for its duration like the lyrics are pretty like elementary I totally get why it would be up your street because it does like the kind of Trent Reznor thing of like mm. underneath the abrasiveness there's clear pop there and like really hooky melodies and it could almost be like some throwback like Phil Spector baby love kind of thing like it does it has big hooks so it works on that level so yeah nice choice Dave mm. thanks man <laughs> number 18 all the sound checks vision is high res wrecking not mileage everything I said I still stand by I don't I don't know I don't stand by check myself I've got to get my mind right can't be looking like dial up I'm wifi won't stay courtside won't make a call sign pen is a gold mine I am not inclined to stop now that I've started backtrack sidestep or have 
have hearted Couldn't predict this if you natal charted Can't navigate my stars and no one can bar it I'm your black James Bond on shot Spice box taxi by the central on shot Sailor Moon remixed by Fela Say moi, I am not a queen, I'm a pharaoh shot Your black James Bond on shot Spice box taxi by the central on shot Sailor Moon remixed by Fela Say moi, I am not a queen, I'm a pharaoh shot was on show by Denise Chyla from her phenomenal debut mixtape um, Go Bravely which came out in October I think this year um, I think just even from that snippet I think that was a perfect snippet to just highlight that song because within that 30 seconds you just and it was the one thing when I listened to the mixtape just so struck by her her humour and obviously as well she's got such an incredible um, flow when she's delivering her lyrics but I always every single time I listen to this song and when she says can't be looking like dial up I'm Wi-Fi," it just yeah, gets me every time um, but even just the like that really cool edge to like her lyrics to then also showing kind of like her personality that like I think a lot of musicians and especially one like Denise Chyla who has just been so revered this year has just been Everyone just thinks she's an absolute legend, which she is, and rightly so. Um, but then to also hear her say um, that she does all the side quests. So she shows like her kind of, you know, more, I was going to say more human side, um, that she does like stuff like plays video games, just hangs out with her friends. Um, well, I see what you're saying, because like there is, there's a star power about her. I yeah. mean, like we, like we spoke to her for an encore course for an episode alongside Merle when the mixtape came out. Uh, I think the same day you interviewed her for Totally mm. Dublin and I remember like let's just be honest I remember both of us texting each other and being like I'm kind of nervous because yeah. I'd never met her before I met God knows I met Merle mm. and I knew I, I knew to expect someone who would be cool and incredible and obviously like crazy fucking eloquent I mean like you just don't even need to say a word yeah. like I, we saw it on the Late Late Show like, yeah. you see whatever she does like the, the courage of the voices thing like I can't my mind struggles to think of a better or not better but a bigger impactful more breakout star in Ireland mm. this year I mean like all hail the fucking pharaoh right mm. but like I know that when you're in her company like you do you just kind of tune into her frequency and like I mean yeah. like how did you find just kind of having like 30-40 minutes with her to just talk to complete outer body experience <laughs> like we're... it's like talking to Dave no it's not it's um... slightly better yeah I mean like it's not you know, it's different they're two different things sure, sure. Um, I just found myself becoming so lost in absolutely everything that she said to the point where I would forget that I'd have to ask her a question so I would just be so engrossed in what she was saying and just like blown away by like her articulation, her eloquence, just her way of thinking. And then she would kind of wind down a sentence and I would start my Eminem style, like palms sweating, mom spaghetti style. And I would just be like, I don't know what to ask her next. And luckily, uh, Merle was sitting beside us as well. And she's just so like inclusive and gracious as well that she would turn to him and get him involved as well in the conversation. Very deferential, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, thank God she is like steering this conversation because I'm just like I was just really somewhere across the room yeah yeah, I was just really in awe of her and I think I know it's really cheesy to say it but I just think she is such an incredible um 
person for anyone to like look up to to um, be inspired by to be educated by to maybe like change people's thinking on certain ways and see things in a new light and yeah I'm all for all for her all for this song It feels like she's got a singular presence and I'm, mm. I'm very very curious to see where it will take her because like both Merle and Denise were at pains to underline that Go Bravely is a mixtape and you know I think I think on show is fucking awesome it's instant it's great however I could you know it does feel as as do a lot of the tracks on there like they feel like ideas and sketches and stuff being worked out and th- I think that's why it represents what it represents for them where it's more like it, it's not her showing off but it's definitely her kind of like I guess working through it, it's like a workout like, like it's very much just like it's like seeing someone kind of write and record in real time and I wonder what that will look like versus say a more defined album when that arrives yeah, I mean, it's a mixtape in like the truest old fashioned sense of the word at a time when we're like being thrown playlists and mixtapes and everything that like isn't an album. Uh, this is totally, as you say, her working stuff out. It's a statement of intent, it's kind of stripped back. And I love that production. It's just so watery and kind of it doesn't overpresent itself, but she just glides across it so brilliantly. And yeah, it's the confidence, it's the breeziness and the mm. humour. And it's like, yeah, it's like she's kind of shimmering through this like <laughs> apocalyptic year and just like taking it all totally in her stride. Um, and that kind of fade out, the panicking again thing just hits really, really hard. Mm. It's great. Number 17. <laughs> was Annie with American Cars taken from Dark Hearts her return her long awaited return um, and I think really the standout from that album an album we reviewed on the show um, weren't terribly hot on slightly disappointed um, just because of the standards she's kind of set for herself but this is something else entirely I think right it's this chrome plated mm. shimmering piece of like amazing synth pop um, it's definitely the standout for me I think it's it's well it's obviously officially one of mm-hmm. the tracks of the year <laughs> and you know it's an album it's kind of like a midlife album it was her going back to her hometown and processing a lot of stuff and old memories and a lot of the songs kind of feel like she's right place wrong time and trying to you know work through issues and this is just it's not like a song about a memory it's like the song is the memory it's so immediate it's just so evocative puts you right there and then and it's just yeah it's, it was a huge one for me you uh, you mentioned her hometown which of course is Bergen, Bergen in Norway our which, beloved Bergen which we've oh been to for Colm Regan's wedding and the bar that we could not stop talking about No Stress do you reckon no she was stress. in there writing the album oh my god imagine, imagine that playing in No Stress oh come on really go for some <laughs> that never right mind now. in the bar in Bergen when I heard this song for the first time immediately what I thought was where was Annie with the song for season three in the roadhouse oh totally yeah like, yeah big twin peaks yeah because yeah, i remember listening to the episode i'm a weekly regular listener to no encore it's my favorite podcast i, I hope subscribe, so subscribe yeah. to the patreon <laughs> um but uh 
I was really thrown um, and taken by how much of a chromatics vibe there is also to this and just like practically getting frostbitten by how icy it is and like also just like immediately thought that this song could have been like a perfect song for say like the Drive soundtrack as well Um, it almost feels I think it's a great song and like I'm glad it's out in 2020 but I kind of feel like it is maybe about like five years too late or something it probably is I think if it had been five years ago the impact it would have had because it would have really fit into that whole like chromatics drive and um, yeah it's just such a shame I actually would have loved to have seen this performed on Twin Peaks but like I I guess that adds to the whole thing because I mean this Mm. is her first this was her first album in was it 11 years it was yeah I'm like I love Annie big fan Uh, I found the album to be fairly forgettable ultimately it is good but it's not amazing and it's strange because yeah this was the first single and this came out early on in the year and it was like oh my god there must be an album coming incredible I can't wait and I, it didn't stay with me, but the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, yeah. And even like in this playlist, especially with the song that's coming next as well, it's like that kind of gorgeous kind of synthy vibe. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's spellbinding, genuinely. Yeah. And it's it's my favourite middle eight of the year as well. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. It kind of goes into this like Shangri-La spoken word thing. From a man who loves his middle eights. We didn't do top five middle eights this year, did we? No, maybe next year. Oh, we did. I I thought we did, yeah, because there was was a couple that we put in on like, well, we can't use that in the middle eight now, but like, it's kind (laughs) of interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, look, listen, Annie, if you've never heard her before, she does kind of, as Zara alludes to, Frostbit and Pop, like a few others. Um, She's amazing. I mean, like, she's like, you know, she's a huge influence on the likes of fucking like Roshi Murphy, Robin, Kylie Minogue, etc. And, Am I right, Dave, actually, in thinking that is Annie the same woman who had chewing gum? It was her. Wow. Yeah, that I, was her I will never forget that song coming out. Yeah, that was her that was her biggest hit and it wasn't that, that was big her, of a was hit. Was that her debut hit? Uh, it was certainly like the, the the most mainstream attention she ever got yeah. Yeah. in yeah. the UK and that wasn't a lot of mainstream attention. Mm. It was like a fucking dance routine on Pop World on T4 and like maybe getting into the UK top 40. Um, I think Chewing Gum's a bop. I think Heartbeat is probably her best song. She's awesome and... I don't mind this album being a bit kind of meandering because it's like, fuck it, she's earned it. She's never going to be like the biggest top pop star in the world, but she's certainly one of the most respected and I think that's good enough for all of us. Number 16. Yes, of course. That is, of course, health. Uh, my Los Angeles noise terrorist boys health, who I love to bits. And the song is called Cyberpunk 2020. Now, I guess we could talk about how this song feels gorgeously, carefully, lovingly crafted and produced so immaculately, though it references one of the biggest video game launches in years, of which health are actually officially linked to beyond this song. And yet that game, Cyberpunk 27, uh, 2077, is broken as fuck in contrast to a track yeah. that feels like a rich dream maze. If you haven't been keeping up with Cyberpunk 2077, the latest is that like it's been taken off the PlayStation Store. It's a whole disaster. It's one of the biggest like major launches of a product in, in years that has been such a disaster, but I'm still playing it and trying my best with it. Um, I find it hard to describe why I love health so much because ultimately the clip you heard there, like when that kind of ramps up and like, 
I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't want to sound like I've just fucking, like, gone to the top of some mountain and taken ayahuasca or anything, but, like, ultimately... <laughs> I wish you would. <laughs> I just see colours, you know? Like, like, like legitimately. I, I, I do. <laughs> like, I, just I just see the back album colours from 20... <laughs> yeah, that's a bad album. Um, but, like, health, uh, like, there's just no one like them for me. I love that in like it's pure industrial pop mm. it's stunning what they do everything sounds titanic everything sounds huge they create worlds to get lost in and this year that was needed more than ever um i continue to bang the health drum like they feel this way to me like they're just it's signature moody kind of huge pitch dark electronic aesthetic just gets my fucking blood pumping it's a frequency it's a signal from another world where everything is neon tinged and dangerous and inviting and beautiful and jagged and hyper real and though nothing is promised, everything is possible. I love them so much. They're coming back to Dublin. They're playing in Opium, apparently, what? next November. Opium? I know, of all places. It's incredible. We should go. But you're taking ayahuasca. That's o- what? They yeah, got their references mixed I'll up have here. To make, Yeah, I'll have to make a decision on the on whatever drugs cocktail I take that evening. Um, <laughs> but essentially, <laughs> I hope gigs are back by November. They played Dublin about a year and a half ago. They were actually on the encore at the time. And... I was in the Grand Social, like, you know, didn't get a huge crowd and I was very disappointed because I was like, lads, one of the best bands in the world. Mm. Um, obviously a personal favourite. We're all what gonna... was the response? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Show I was like you. standing on the stage. Um, yeah, look, listen, I mean, like like I say, they craft worlds that I love to escape within and I don't think everything they do is fucking amazing. We reviewed the last album, we thought it was only okay. They put out an album this year called Disco 4, which is a lot of collaborations, a lot of kind of odds and ends that they built up together and some are better than others. But I'm just so grateful that they're out there doing their mm. thing. They're like they don't play the fucking industry game, and unfortunately, it keeps them in that kind of independent box. But also, they're just one of the most independent bands I've ever seen. So I'm just glad that they're still fucking going because they're the kind of band that you could figure could just hang it up any day of the week. But they just keep keep on doing it, and they have a cult following of mm. which I am very much drinking. You're the, the cheerleader. Well, I'm drinking the fucking yeah. Kool Aid all day. I'm yep. drinking that neon tinged Kool Aid. <laughs> Well, it's the only way you'll get a moustache, my friend, with a red Kool-Aid moustache. It's can't grow facial hair. There's no reason to um, have yeah, a goat are, you know? I'm not going you. That's just you taking some throwaway comment. Very personally. I want to grow facial hair. The, the least surprising thing in it's the world is happen. that hell, we're associated with a game called Cyberpunk. <laughs> like, of course. Yeah. Um, very much better than the actual game, it would seem. But yeah, they, I always think of their sound as kind of like pixelated or something so it makes sense um, and it is huge and it's great and it sounds like something that like Brian Malko from <laughs> Placebo would really approve of yes. which is always yeah. a good thing in my book Yeah, that was literally in my mind when I was listening to it again um, and it was a, I was listening to it on the bus this morning and it really reminded me of uh, um, in your top five earlier earlier this month or last month when you had Running Up That Hill Okay, the like gallop of that song in particular really brought me back to that world and it's just it's so atmospheric and yeah you can see the kind of grayscale of this um, arrangement which um, I actually really thoroughly enjoyed and I will be checking that out so I can go to Opium next year. We're, we're gonna, <laughs> planning already. We're going to make a new metal fan out of Reality. I'm telling you it's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. And now for something completely different. Number 15 Back when we were still changing for the better Wanting was enough For me it was enough August 
by Taylor Swift. If I sound like I was laughing, it's because I was. Um, I just lost my breath there singing along to that song. Um, obviously, that was from Folklore. Her much, I think, divisive album, lads, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it was a massive release. Biggest album of the year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the most talked about albums of the year, yeah. For sure. I mean, it's it's an intriguing proposition, but I guess more intriguing for me is that <laughs> you were won over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened? Give, give me the whole backstory here. Uh, hello, my name is Zara and I now like August by Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was. I have never been a fan of Taylor Swift at all. I've really been adamant against her music. I just never really liked it. Yeah, actually, like, would you say that you were specifically not, as in like, I don't like this? Or you were like, it just doesn't do it for me? I mean, it didn't do anything for me. I will admit that, yeah, like Bad Blood, I remember when that came out and I did... Uh, did find myself having that hook stuck in my head. Um, I listened to this purely because I was like, okay, this is a pretty huge release. Um, really need to listen to it. But I was also actually quite interested to listen to it because it was such a change up of what she had done before. Um, I also had watched Miss Americana. This is the Netflix documentary. Yeah, which brought me into like the, the Taylor sphere. And... It Welcome all, to the Taylor Sphere. Yeah. Population. Two people <laughs> enter it. One person leaves. It's the Taylor Sphere. Um, and one of my friends, Hannah, is um, a, a big Taylor Swift fan. And I was talking to her a lot about folklore when it came out during the summer. And so my friend Hannah is American and she raised a very interesting and valid point about why she likes Taylor Swift so much and it's because she would stick her albums on in the car when she was say driving across the country say from college back home and she was like kind of like a Bruce Springsteen album Taylor Swift's music is amazing car music and I was like okay that's interesting and then there was just one day, I think I was actually a bit drunk um, and I was on my way home and August came on and I just got so swept up in this song. It is ridiculous, like an embarrassing level of swept up. And I was just like, oh my God, this song is exce- it's exceptional. Um, and I listened to it again. I listened to it again. I think I listened to it about seven times in a row that night, like just in my room, fold and closed. Which are judgment impaired after the alcohol. Ex- exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I returned to it and I was like, I need to return to that song. And I came to the conclusion that this song, August, is 2020, this generation's Natalie and Brulia Torn. It's a big so claim. that's a huge claim and I'm not like I don't want to jump in with a disagreement but I will just say that like for me it's a song we talked about on No Encore years ago uh, Sure by Hatchie takes that crown but I can see I, I, I don't disagree hmm. but I, I, I think that the Hatchie song for example I think was like I was like why isn't this the biggest song in the world it's fucking outstanding um, yeah so so this is more torn for you than say Sixpence None the Richer Oh, absolutely. Okay. I just think that this is a perfectly crafted pop song. Oh, yeah. Well, that's I what think you expect that this from is, her, like, right? And I mean, obviously Taylor Swift is, has a huge propensity for pop. Um, and I think that that really shone through on folklore. I mean, obviously, you've got something like Blank Space, which is just so immediate and it's so raring to go. But I think it's actually a bit more impressive when you have something that is a little bit more bare and stripped back like say August or even um, This Is Me Trying which follows that song on the album and just like how hollow those songs are how much space there is in them and yet sorry that was such a long pause and yet you just like get lost in them and 
um, they have that same kind of immediate like arm in the air kind of impact and like honestly cannot believe that I am a Taylor Swift cheerleader Stan right now like, things, no um, I'm not Stan so um, you buy you buy the Switch even though I don't know how much of a Switch it is and I guess you know look I think there's loads I think there, huge musicians like Taylor Swift they switch all the time there's just lesser deals made of it I think obviously yes this was a very I think and we'll talk about all of this more with certain bands that we'll be discussing later but I think that spoiler alert sorry um, but <laughs> well, I, we, we don't know we might be I don't but know I, there might be bands I, coming up we don't know I think say. when you know you're an artist of Taylor Swift's profile and stature there's a lot of calculation going into your releases obviously this kind of came out after Lover which was a huge failure I think musicians of that level are hugely calculated um but it so, sounds like none of that really came into this for you on this song. I just got swept up in it. All that melted away, yeah. Yeah, I just got really swept up in it and I just kind of got to a point where I was like, I actually can't deny that this is class. I kind of love when that happens. Yeah. Because music should be kind of undeniable. Yeah. I like some of the lines in this. August slipping away like a bottle of wine. I hear that. And yeah, I think the aesthetic, <laughs> I think the aesthetic really suits. <laughs> it really suits Taylor Swift because yeah. she's the most American artist of all time. So when you have that kind of those spacious arrangements and mm. stuff, it does sound like the open road and going across America. And it's very well crafted. And mm. its inclusion here means I've lost all my Craig on Kanye privileges. So thanks. <laughs> Well, I mean, look, you know, like these are the conflicts that we have in this strange world of music. I mean, like ultimately, uh, this song, like I guess album-wise, we may talk more about folklore on another episode. I don't know, but I mean, like it does mark the shift in that album for me. Like I said before, I think the I think that album is pretty much bulletproof for the first seven songs, eight at a push, and this is that eighth number. And while I like it well enough, I do think that, <laughs> it's amazing that that's the good off. I do, I, I do think that this is uh, where it all begins to slip, <laughs> or indeed. Or indeed sip away like a bottle of wine. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about her ability to craft um, particularly a rising second or third act, which I think she does very, very strongly. Yeah. And this is a great example of it. Mm. So, And in fairness, the thing about that album, again, spoilers, uh, is that like ultimately everyone... I think there's enough in there why I could understand why somebody would clutch a song like this to their chest. Mm. But you could do it with like seven or eight other ones, like which is a big fucking compliment to pay for an album that has so much noise attached to it about even the method in which it was released. And for any song to kind of come out above the parapet like that and register, especially, you know, for someone like yourself who previously mm. was like, I've no interest in Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, that's the mark of a good song, baby. Yeah. Okay, enough Taylor Swift, please. Thank you. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah let's, let's move, move on. on. Number 14. But I knew you dancing in your Levi's drunk under a street. talking Taylor Swift what's she been up to yes he's back (laughs) this song is called Cardigan Uh, I think people saying that this song is a Lana Del Rey clone Mm. are being as uncharitable as the lads in comment sections who crow about how the album only has any credibility whatsoever due to the presence of an Aaron Desner or a Justin Vernon Um, sure like you can make valid arguments in that Taylor Swift has undoubtedly um, tailored her sound towards a comparable sonic wellspring and you know she is always throughout you know like like good songs and bad i think she's a visibly clear author i think you can see that she in fact is 
front and centre and not just from a marketing machine point of view. Uh, the conviction of this record, of these songs, was never in doubt to me, despite the fact that I do think that she has an issue with, you know, just general kind of presentation and especially with albums, bloating them to the point of just like, okay, you've made your point wouldn't this be so much better if it was shorter but on songs like this man I just forget all those kind of problems I mean Cardigan I think rules because not only does it capture those minute uh, unique yet universal life details it's a bit pissed off about them Um, you get heart stopping lines like uh, and when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed you threw me on and said I was your favourite alongside the much more acidic and judging a friend to all is a friend to none chase two girls lose the one right after itself followed up by when you are young they assume you know nothing which sounds not only as a general irritation that young people rightly feel it's also a little bit arrogant in that regard in that like nothing can substitute for life experience and you know if you keep it on the kind of individual plane I think this song also speaks to perhaps being taken advantage of by an older lover or at the very least overlooked and dismissed likely by someone who now regrets it Um, and you know Taylor is not looking to absolve here She's fucking hurt, guys, you know? And, like, I think that's where, like, that pure emotion comes from. It's, like, I needed to hear this from her more than I usually do because, like, you you mentioned Lover earlier on and Mm. it's dressed up with, like, songs like Me, which we all fucking remember as being... hmm? Love that one. Great, great number, yeah. And it's, like, or, like, you think of, like, look what you made me do and I'm, like, God, this is so try-hard, whereas... Mm. I think when she just strips it all back, I'm like, yeah, that's there. There's the fucking person. There's like the relatable person. Mm. I've, I've I've been reading so much about. I've been hearing so much about. In these moments, I can understand why this album and her as a person have cast such a huge spell on people. Um, I think you know, there's a moment in the song several times actually when she kind of says, "I knew you," mm. um, and though it is delivered quite sweetly, it brings a couple of things to mind for me. Uh, there's a an incredible television show that mm-hmm. very few people have seen called Rectify mm-hmm. in which one character moments from his own demise lets his best friend know that he knows that his friend is innocent and he's asked why and he says because I know you mm-hmm. because I know you because I know you and that when I saw it years ago just fucking destroyed me but then I also find myself thinking of uh, Gabriel Burns Tom Hagen in Miller's Crossing tired and beaten down by all the schemers and the traitors as he bitterly notes Nobody knows anyone not that well. Beautiful. This reminds me of The National. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you hadn't said that bit at the start. All the rest was golden. It's like, I've been relegated to the comment section now because it's light years, right? The piano figure. It it just completely is. This song specifically. Even holding on to this this all year, man. The rest of the album is purely Taylor. It really is. Um, Mm. And this song works really well for me. I mean, coupled with August and I think Betty. Isn't Mm. this like part of that trilogy? Yeah, yeah, I love triptych as a word. So good. Um, Yeah, like a teenage love triptych. So she's Mm. actually kind of doing, telling like short stories. She's... um, She's inhabiting characters and I think in a weird way that frees her from like her own persona and how she expects people to like perceive what she's doing next and talking about her own feelings and she can somehow be more honest through those short stories. I think she's really effective as a lyricist when she writes. It's yeah, again, it's quite an American way of just approaching things like some of these stories you could imagine as like vignettes in the New Yorker or something like that. So this works really well for me, uh, aside from that very, very national piano. I think that that's actually such a great uh, point about her songwriting and her inhabiting characters because I think it's on Last Great American Dynasty where she's talking about a character but then she flips the narrative a bit and then she talks about herself. So there is like, there's a real vagueness to the perspective of some of the songs and where she's writing from, which I sometimes quite like. I was actually having a discussion about this last night about... um, 
like artists kind of spoon feeding emotion to listeners and I like always kind of would prefer when I have to make up my own mind and have to use my imagination a bit more I don't like um to be told literal um kind of stories sometimes or literal like I'm so sad right now because um x or y but like I think that Taylor, especially in this song as well, she does do that very well where she just alludes to the fact that she's upset, that she's heartbroken. I do remember when I listened to this album for the first time and I absolutely hated that she used like a cardigan for the metaphor. I was just like, that is so naff. Like, I have more is... of an issue with the fact that she fucking later sold one as part of a package merch deal. It's business, baby. Yeah. But that annoyed me because I was like... Oh. That's really cynical though. <sighs> of course. And that's why like... That, yeah. But that's the, the two fucking tailors you know that, that, that's the whole the, the Mystic Americana thing where I'm like yeah there's parts of this I buy but most of it is propaganda I didn't buy any of it I bought some of it no. I buy the idea that someone in her life can never have a normal life and like you know she lets her cat eat at the kitchen table that sounds fine that's disgusting that's fine yeah, oh, yeah I mean, you, like, would say that. <laughs> you would say that. it's not as bad as like your one on fucking love is blind having a dog drink wine out of a giant wine glass look is it? that you know, dog like, was having a rough night uh, we've all been rock and rolling for <laughs> hey let's move on maybe <laughs> there. yeah look all, all, all I will say is that like this song stayed with me I thought it was very very thoughtful and I thought it was very very well composed Craig is not wrong about light years. Let's move on. <laughs> Number 13. No, none of this will matter in the long run, but I know a sound is still a sound around no one. And while I'm in this body, I want somebody to want, and I want what I want, and I want you. That was uh, the opening track, I Want You To Love Me, from Fiona Apple's fifth album, uh, Fetch The Bolt Cutters, which followed after seven years of absence and uh, really uh, reawakened a lot of huge Fiona Apple fans that um, seemed to have existed, um, particularly on Twitter. Um, (laughs) No shade. Um, But yeah, I... This was one of my choices and I think it was quite high up on my list because... One thing, so I actually, full disclaimer, I had never listened to Fiona Apple until, the was it the New Yorker profile? Sure, yeah. Yeah, or the, yeah it was the New Yorker profile by Emily Nasebaum, Na- um, which is a, an excellent read, such an amazing introduction to an artist, um, very uh, enveloping and encompassing. Um, and it really in, like ignited an interest in me to like want to listen to her because she just sounded so fascinating. Um, so for the whole time reading that, I listened to Tidal on repeat and was like, holy fuck this is incredible um, so I was then really excited for this album just to kind of hear the progression and then I vividly remember waking up at like 6 in the morning the day that this album came out um, just because I couldn't sleep and was like saw that the pitchfork the infamous pitchfork 10 out of 10 
stuck it on and as soon as I heard this song I was just like I was brought back to that initial feeling of listening to her for the first time which hilariously was like what three weeks beforehand <laughs> um, I was just like oh my god she's amazing were you like it is 10 out of 10 hey, oh yeah <laughs> give it 11 um, but yeah I just and throughout the year I haven't really returned to Fetch the Ball Cutters that much um, I think it's a good album I don't think it is as phenomenal as what some people have kind of lauded it as obviously the songwriting is her songwriting is just really great lyrically I think she's her um, dexterity with words is just really great kind of in a similar way to Denise Childish she can be really funny she can be really biting she shows a lot of her personality which I really admire Um, but what I just could not resist was the piano in this song it's like a tidal wave that just tsunamis you goes over you and then you get a bit drowned in it but then you come back up again you're like this is so class Um, so this was really the only song that I would return to because just the impact of it the intensity of it her gravelly tone and her voice as well it's just it's so good and I also love how there is also a bit of a nod to like her early John Bryan kind of work as well Um. I kind of really noticed that actually I was listening to this song again this morning and I heard it just in some of the like piano lines. I was like, fuck, that's like kind of quite a Brian line. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, I just think it's an absolute beast of a song, basically. I love, um, like, I love the violence of it, yeah. Um, like whether it's her voice rising and kind of deliberately quavering that way and the piano keys that must have wronged her in some fashion to receive such a pummeling uh, and the general desperation of the title and the intention. Mm. But uh, that ending, no, thank you, sir. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's not like a tidal wave to me. It feels like initially it's an ascending thing. It's like you're going Mm. up a staircase or something into Fiona's attic and you don't know what kind of horrors await you there, (laughs) but they're going to be really interesting. Um, It does feel like a link to her previous work. uh, So it's a really Mm. good scene setter to me. I was instantly brought back to a lot of her previous stuff. And yeah, it's like she doesn't so much perform as just like every kind of atom of her being is like so, so committed to the song. It's unbelievable. Like Mm -hmm. she's kind of straining vocally, as you were saying, Dave, just pounding those keys. It's yeah, I I think this is the, the discord works for me because I think you need that with Fiona Apple. And actually, you know, when you get some layers down with the song, it's quite a meditative thing. Like she's kind of trying to find some peace and dealing with kind of big philosophical questions of, you know, why do we do what we do? Does anything have any meaning whatsoever? And does that really matter? And I think she maybe comes to a conclusion that it doesn't. So let's just get on with the album. Mm. Um, So as an opener, yeah, I think it's spectacular. Mm. Number 12.
Sophie and Stevens uh, sounding a little bleared. Um, this is definitely a hard fought, hard worn song. It's goodbye to all that. It's from The Ascension. Um, his lengthy new album which is probably the darkest he's gotten personally he's been through the ringer even in his kind of you know songs that deal with mortality and the the real horrors of life he would always kind of eject some typical Stephen's joy but here he's just kind of at times he feels quite faithless um just really grappling with I guess the last few years we've all been having which is fair enough but this moment and it is really a moment in the album for me um, and again I, maybe you need the context of the album as with so many of these tracks but it follows on from Death Star uh, quite heavy electronics you've been on quite a journey with him and then the kind of the clouds just part he's in his car he's like having he's you know creating a new start fresh start for himself and Suddenly you're back in old kind of Sophie and Stevens where it's very detailed. Um, you're getting those kind of notes, personal notes, and you're just kind of right there with them. And it just feels like it's a well-earned moment. It's a great song. Uh, it's got that age of odds kind of production and stuff, but just with so many of the tropes that just work so well for him. And it feels like a real kind of, yeah, we did it moment, which yeah, I think we needed this year. It's got, yeah. it's got beautiful ambition and, and oddness to it. And it's strange because like Death Star is... Like it's kind of one song, right? I mean, this into this, like yeah, they're so similar. Mm-hmm. It's so reflective of itself, and yeah, I mean, like strangely enough, on paper, and there's other songs in that record as well. Where like I would have thought that like, well, this is going to press the fuck out of me, and yet it doesn't. I see like so much light in this song, and I think a lot of it comes down to his sonic choices, really. But like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, Sufian's one of those ones where like I gotta be in the right mood, and right. for some reason, like most of the songs on this record surprised me and this was one of them I think like if anything like this like there's a talking heads vibe to this right mm. I mean there's a very like open and kind of bright shiny yeah, bright's thing the word, yeah. I mean look he's mm. never gonna fucking like uh, be like a triumphant football terrorist anthem or anything but like uh, this yeah. is this is this isn't a million miles away I give him some time maybe that's two years um, I d- definitely when uh, Craig when you were talking about it the word like you said Dave is that bright is just the word that I think of with this song um, I also found it really uh, funny maybe funny is the wrong word but when we had our Zoom call when we were like trying to iron out the positions and we were talking about this song and Greg just was like look guys I don't know but this song just really helped me get through a lot of stuff this year and then I looked at the title again and I was like goodbye to all that Craig, you okay? One like, I was like, it's a Joan Didion reference. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, um, I definitely do think that this is the jewel of the crown on that album. Um, yeah, and that's about as much as I can say about this song. You've uh, said enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Joan Didion reference, guys. Like, you know, that's not crazy well do you know what he, he's talking when he was talking about this record and like a lot of people have commented on how usually he's so hyper specific and literate but he's using kind of like well-worn phrases and like um like self-help mantras almost that just feel like that's not quite Sufian. um and this being one of them but of course there's extra meanings to it all but he was saying he kind of they're well worn for a reason and actually that's what I needed right now just kind the, of those mantras and I have I have this image of you like in a recording studio <laughs> putting your hand on his shoulder and saying that's not quite Sufian <laughs> like, just driving him on I have an image of Craig as Donald Draper at the end of Mad Men oh, this is what he wants like, like, he's like, never like, <laughs> works in advertising like, <laughs> exactly like, oh, he's in a how do you feel with that Craig you've made it congratulations 
God. No hope this is moving to my hippie commune any day now. <laughs> Number 11. <laughs> Before we hit the top 10, it's Grimes. It's My Name is Dark, open brackets, art mix, Thank close you. brackets. <laughs> Craig Patrick, what is she talking about? Um, she is inhabiting the spirit of a new god that is seeking vengeance on the world, oh. I believe, Dave, um, as she does a lot on this album. And yeah, I don't know. It's very like Lovecraftian, which I love. Hmm. She's ta- like the production is insane to me. She's talked about how it had to be gigantic, but not just a mush. And she worked really hard in it. And I think she really pulled it off. And it's just this arrived just before the world went topsy turvy. But it like it felt <laughs> topsy. Are you laughing at me, Zara, for saying topsy turvy? It's a great term. I don't see the problem. <laughs> in my suit. explain yourself, Edelman. <laughs> All right, Mister Man, like. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be known as the topsy-turvy year, guys. That's what are you talking about? It's already about? being held as word of the year, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, stop. But like this, this is so fitting now in retrospect, mm. this album and this song in particular, where it's just like, it feels like like black magic or dark magic to me, where mm. she's almost like trying to be possessed by these kind of beings beyond her and gets kind of slightly evil, but that's really empowering sonically. And personally, and yeah, it's just really affecting to me. It's great to run to as well, Dave. It's oh, right, yeah. cinematic, I think. Like, oh, it's hugely, so yeah. cinematic in its bleakness as well. Like, I watched The Matrix recently for the very first time. <laughs> How was that? Topsy Turvy film. Confusing as fuck. Like, it was so confusing. Um, Did you enjoy it? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I think I did. I think it holds up really, really well. Um, but I was actually really surprised that this was the Grimes song to enter the top 20 list yeah I was too um, I mean like I, I think it, it like I think it does I think a lot of it does actually work in isolation I don't think every album does this year but I think this one you could you could pick anything but I was surprised it was this one. I like this one a lot what but did was, we think was maybe I would delete thought, forever no, no I would have thought um, so heavy I felt the opener okay. astonishing song I think that Very that song, song is just incredible I think violence Epic. is amazing, but it came out in 2019. Yeah, I, think. I believe that was a learning. You Delete Forever had its moment though, Delete in like 1996 when oh, the Oasis evil Wonderwall. Did it first. I feel like, like a, I feel like a lot of people just that's just a G chord. That's like will be that song will be appreciated. No, down but the, the line. G thing, Craig. So what you're saying is, Craig, this is this is the standout song on a record that I think has a like an interesting kind of collection of personalities. Mm. Yeah, I think the whole this inhabits the entire mood of the album really, really well. I think, mm. it's, I think most, it's, it's the most destructive mood on yeah. the album for sure which I think 
as a whole, it really taught it really ties the album together, which is something that hasn't actually really um kind of come to me until like literally just now that this really is the glue for that album yeah. I think I, I love the like nihilism of it mm. do you know what I mean it's like yeah, some hip hop like like gangster rap is great just because it's a real like fuck everything and it's very freeing in that way you just kind of live like voyeuristically through it and I think you can do the same with this song where it's just mm. like so many albums are trying to make big important statements about you know socio-political climate and stuff and Grimes is just going fuck it I'm a demon <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, 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 I love that this is a running song for you. By the way, yes. I just feel I, I can just see you like shoving kids out of the way. Like get the fuck out of my. Like, but also, Craig. I have been running a lot of lunchtime. Yeah, so Craig, these kids on break. Can you please change your Twitter bio to "fuck it, I'm a demon." <laughs> of course, yeah. Why not? It's a Christmas absolutely. miracle. All right, listen. <laughs> It's time to hit the top ten. Ooh. So let's do just that. Number ten. I'll die before the light is leaving. One more cry to sow the final like it. I'll die before the light is leaving. Guitar Shred I think of 2020 by Dan Fitzpatrick on Paddy Hanna's song Sinatra on his third album The Hill Um, this I think okay this obviously goes against the whole point of this uh, top 20 but I think that this is definitely one of the actually no it's very in keeping with actually this (laughs) one of the top songs of the year (laughs) (laughs) yeah go uh, on <laughs> Please finish this point. Um, I again, I just get so swept up on this in this song. I think from the very first time I heard it, I just like had you know those classically cartoonish reactions where like the person's hair is just like blown back just from the impact <laughs> and the power of it. Um, I love this song so much. It's so different to what we've heard from Paddy before. Um, it fits so nicely in the world of the album as well. And um, I interviewed him earlier this year and it was, I think, one of my favourite interviews because he's just so much fun and like you just never know what he's going to say about his music or stories from like throughout the years. But when I asked him, because I loved, I love this song so much and I would never ever ask um, a musician like, where did you get your inspiration for this song? Because I just think that's such a lame, sometimes, obviously sometimes it's very valid. But I think it's kind of more interesting to talk around a song. But with Paddy, I was just, I was so interested in this song because like the first line is they killed Sinatra with a microscope and then you get this chord organ that just immediately transports you to like 1960s Italy and dark like laneways and stuff like that and you're like creeping around like this empty town with him and I was just like look Paddy like I really I, I don't usually ask questions like this but 
tell me about Snatcher like what like what is that about like I was like why did you write a song about her like is this about like Frank Sinatra being murdered and all this kind of stuff and he was just like oh well you see I can't really talk about my songs and how I write them I was like no I know I respect that and he goes basically I had a chord organ and it's from the 1960s and I like to think that this chord organ witnessed a murder in (laughs) 1960s Italy and maybe someday it'll tell me all about it and I was like do you know what? I accept that answer and yeah. that's good enough for me. Um, I also just think that guitar solo that we just heard the first snippet of is phenomenal. Um, it actually electrocutes me every time I hear it when I'm walking around. I just think it's great. What about you guys? The, the chord organ should be the star of the show, right? Because oh, it does feel like... It's, it's seen the murder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then the guitar, it's like this Robert Fripp thing almost. It's like yeah. this drony amazingness. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I feel like it's Paddy's audition for like a Bond theme as well. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Very smooth. Yeah. 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 He's a loose cannon. I mean, like, I, I think I think his music is uh, is beautifully deranged, and I think ultimately, like, his commitment to the abstract is to be admired because, like, I'm delighted that he's in this list because he, he doesn't pop up on a lot of end of year lists. I mean, mm. it's not that he's not on any of them. He's, he's I've seen him on a couple already, but ultimately, he's not the most commercial cat going. But he mm. could be. I mean, he's shown us this with uh, the Ultraman stuff, yeah. and I think he has the ability to sit down and write a pop album that would be probably devoured by the masses. But as he said, when I interviewed him for the track by track episode a few months ago, um, it that doesn't interest him. Mm. His he wants to be the artist that he is, and ultimately, like he's he's I think currently in terms of like making music, I think he's like on an, he's an incredible purple patch. I mean, mm. frankly, Amute was a great album. Yeah. The Hill is so different, and it's mm. excellent as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, like maybe he's not going to be the kind of guy who sells out the fucking three arena, but ultimately, I respect him so much for walking that path. Yeah. Because it must be frustrating as well to, especially in a year in which like a lot of Irish music has been championed very, very loudly and a lot of it has been excellent. I think Paddy's been right up there and I don't know if he gets the the kind of recognition, but at the same time, it's like even picking like a like a 30 to 40 second snippet for this is mm-hmm. tough because I think you got to live within these songs and they're not for everybody to live within. Like they are a bit harsh and caustic and very, very strange. And that's part of their appeal. I yeah. mean, I don't want everyone to sound like your fucking typical singer-songwriter bloke with a guitar. Paddy Hanna is not that. No. Which is great. Number nine. I talk myself out of myself When I'm overwhelmed Is there a way to feel free Without being someone Touche Amore. That song is called Reminders and the actor called Touche Amore. Now, who are they, you might ask? Well, in fairness, I didn't know until a couple of months ago myself. Uh, They are an American post-hardcore band from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California. They've been around for a long time. They've been around for 13 years. That voice you heard there, which I feel is going to be a Marmite situation for people, um, especially when you hear it in isolation. Even like cutting clips for this, I was like... Wow, Craig and Zara are going to have fun with me on this one because it's so Taken Back Sunday. It's so hardcore American angst and I fucking love it. That's uh, Jeremy Bohm is the name of the singer. Um, 
Yeah, like essentially, long story short, and I again, you know, I I feel like it's hard to talk about this band without getting into their album, which is called Lament, which came out at the start of October. Uh, a big discovery for me this year, and something that really stayed with me. And it was I, I wanted to pick a song from the album. This felt like the right one to go with. Um, it was a single. And uh, if I recall correctly, it has a video with lots of dogs in it, which, you know, I mean, like, who oh. who wouldn't be, like, including Jacob Bannon from Converge pops up with his dog, you know, it's... Delightful. It's delightful. Um, yeah, essentially, like, this is the kind of music that, like, has spoken to me for a long time, whether it is You're Taking Back Sundays or whether it is, like, aforementioned on the Q&A episode, Brand New, who, of course, I can no longer listen to uh, without it being a bit of a strange situation. Um I've always been very partial to this kind of hard on the sleeve thing and it can go either way. I think, you know, that kind of American twang is definitely not for everybody. I'm surprised it works for me as well as it does, but it really fucking does. And um, I I was reading some interviews that they'd done. Your man, Jeremy Bohm, says like, this is arguably the poppiest song in our entire catalogue. They do have four other albums, which I've never even heard yet, because I'm kind of like just fixating on this one for the time being. Uh, he compared them. He compares this to Jimmy Eat World a bit. And I'm like, yeah, I can hear that. Mm. I mean, it's certainly a more hardcore version of that to a degree. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's funny because Zara earlier on did say the 15-year-old teenage boy thing. And I'm like, I think that's there in this, but I actually think that there's more to it than that. I think that there is the... 16-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> and then add like about another 15 to 20 years. Yeah. I, I think that there is that kind of like wrong side of 30 thing. I, I think that there is that kind of like, you know, growing older and life not being the magic that you necessarily thought maybe it would be and all the nostalgia pangs are in here mm. as well. And I think, you know, like he himself, Jeremy Bohm, has, has talked up this song as being uh, a perfect entry point into this band. And though it wasn't the first song I heard by them, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, like I said, I've, I haven't even gone back and explored the previous stuff because this hit me that hard. And this song in particular, like, I've found it to be that kind of literal thing. Like, I love, you were, you were saying earlier on, Zara, that, like, you prefer top when people, whether it's in an interview with Patty Hanna or whether it's Taylor Swift and kind of inhabiting characters or whatever, mm. you maybe prefer when a song, you know, is a bit more, maybe more, more subtext to it than mm. just, like, shouting out at you but like I do think that there is a place for that in music and when that works for me as it does here it really does kind of supercharge me and that's mm. what this song did that's good yeah um, yeah it's it's probably a bit I don't know buff for me or something like buff. that <laughs> <laughs> but we have talked before about the likes of say Blink-182 where it's you know if they're doing live shows and touring the world and they have to go back to some of those more juvenile songs how did I feel about it as guys in their 40s and I guess the solution is write songs like this and move the conversation on and deal with where you're at in life. And it totally makes sense that there's a, a genre shift there that needs to happen. And this is a good example of it. The thing that bewilders me is that, have you got into Jeff Rosenstock yet, who I've recommended to you before? No. Okay. You need to get into Jeff Rosenstock. Talk because to me. It's very similar to stuff like this, but just I am into it. So I don't know if that <laughs> Weakens the argument or strengthens it for you. We've been doing a show together for five years. Why would but that it's not, weaken but the But it's not my wheelhouse of genres. Um, but how would you, you describe? Album, the, how would you describe the genre? Like, um, it's it's kind of post hardcore, maybe more punk, um, but for that very American thing, and maybe slightly marmitey vocals. But he's huge energy, like bags of tunes. No Dream was the album from this year. I think you'd dig that one. So maybe check that out. Um, Again, yeah, I mean, like remind me of that. As you say, not in your wheelhouse. Yeah, like like it's rare that I would hear you 
into this kind of stuff. Yeah. Not that you're not into it, into it, but like, you know, it's it's not Craig's first choice, is it? Mm. <laughs> no, but it's, a, it's an occasional choice. It's an occasional treat. <laughs> a treat for thee? I know. <laughs> out of the suit. <laughs> I know in advance, Sarah, we talked about this briefly when we were kind of going through our, our Zoom call and I remember, and you dropped a word that really upset me when you listened well, to well, look, it's some not the of first this time song. that I've... You, you used the word landfill and I'm like, this is not I landfill. do think that this is quite landfill. What yeah. are you talking about? I, yeah. I'm I feel, talking I feel like, about the fact that I think that this is landfill. I feel like I'm the guy in the. Do we need to open the conversation about what landfill? No, can, because okay. Craig, I think we're under time constraints. I'm the guy in the house of the parliament there again. What um, are you playing at? Like, yeah, I, when I listened to this initially, I mean, obviously, Dave, listening to you talking about what this song has meant to you, and I completely can understand. Um, how this song has mass appeal to you and has you know resonated with you. Um, but, and it is a very anthemic song. It is a song that is very reassuring um, for certain audience members. But I just kind of felt that it was a bit soulless um, in that kind of landfill way. Um, it just is kind of like rushing towards the finish line to a certain degree. And actually when I kept returning to it, the landfill thing re- returned to me because Parts of the instrumentation really reminded me of Tokyo Police Club. Do you okay. remember them? I remember um, them. I yeah. interviewed them back in the day. No way! Via Skype. I was a big fan of them as a teenage girl. Yeah, yeah. Skype was a thing. Yeah. Saw them in Wheelands a couple away. of times. Um, nice lads. Yeah, I would, I would say they were. Um, but yeah, it, this song just, personally for me, it it didn't really do a whole lot. Um, in I, one ear and out the other, but not as bad for you as Idols, I hope. Well, David. What happened to Idols this year? That's a whole different podcast. Oh. That's a whole different podcast. Let's move on to another Dave Discovery, though, shall we? Number eight. <laughs> of language the song is called The Wall and I it's the closing track on their record Introduction Presence which came out this year and um, another discovery yeah I got to give credit to Mark Conroy who writes for Headstuff and Jurassic Magazine and Golden Black uh, he foisted this upon me uh, the song in particular and foisted it, it upon you yeah, well, I mean, like, it just was, came out into my head as well foisted but like in classic <laughs> Dave Hanready fashion it took me ages to actually get around to it and I was like yeah yeah I'll check it out you know I'm very busy very important um, You're a public figure. Public figure. And uh, first impressions were that it really didn't leave that much of an impression. Um, but I also knew that I glossed over it and you don't have to go back to it and give it a proper go before end of year season closed in. And when I did, 
it fucking blew me away. Uh, I'm an easy mark for this kind of thing. This persistent, emotive synth line, guitar hooks that bury disguise how enthrall they are to New Order's ceremony. Uh, I'm back in the fucking Roisin dub with my friends in like the late 2000s dancing on the top floor. I mean, then you have the vocal, which could be European, but it is, of course, American. I think these guys are from Brooklyn. Uh, it's very, very <laughs> hipsters. Yes, very, very pastiche, certainly. Uh, we're not 100 million miles away from some class of uh, Future Islands, clap your hands, say yeah, amalgam. But God damn it, the spirit shines through. I think this thing is fucking resolute. It wants you to win. And when it's over, I want for myself to win too. And I don't have that many songs this year that made me feel that way. And I just kept coming back to it from like a physical attraction. And ultimately, uh, I've mentioned my friend Adam uh, on the show a million times, apart from our wonderful Sonic Architect, Adam. <laughs> Who just uh, swiveled in his chair. cursor. <laughs> The precursor to Sonic Architect, Adam, my good friend Adam Walker, uh, who's on the other side of the world and was such a musical fucking North North Star for me when I was growing up. It was an absolute pleasure to throw this his way, knowing full well that he would love it, and I'm pretty sure he does. Uh, I think Has it's he got just, back to you. Or? Um, he said that it was, he said that he, he, he threw was on the album. Dave, yeah. <laughs> he said that he. I'm like, why? Why? They keep getting these grey ticks. Uh, he said he threw on the album, and he said like straight away he was into it. But I, I was like, wait to get to the closing track, man. And then he didn't get back. But he's oh. he, he's he, he's fairly poor at texting me back. Yeah, I love him. you if you're listening. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, this song to me was just like. It picked me up. It was one of those. It really was like an outstretched hand and just like a, 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 I guess like a feeling that you know what you will get through this fucking shit. And I know that's the biggest cliche in the world, but like, I think a lot of people need music like this. If it does hit you like a lightning bolt, and it did. Yeah, I this think is how Dave wins. <laughs> this is how I win. I think it has that real classic again. Um, really bright very um stark kind of december morning kind of light to mm. it um which i think as someone who loves winter um is one of the most beautiful times of day and year um i did not think that this was the most beautiful time or song of 2020 i did really enjoy it i thought there was a massive bang as well of the war on drugs off this well listen <laughs> i mean they won me over recently yeah. so yeah um i did love the whole new order kind of um recall throughout this song i do actually really like that um layered vocal harmony as well so it did also remind me of something that I would have really loved when I was 16 I imagine if I was 16 in 2020 having heard this song I definitely would have been like ripping out the page that nation of language were on on enemy and sticking it into my scrapbook that I had um, but yeah I did like this again I think it has that kind of Annie curse of it being about five years too late uh, it might just catch the next wave. Do you know what? It might be slightly early because you know they're they're based in Brooklyn. They know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming back. Craig it's all spoken. just cycles. Who else? Uh, sorry, who else is in this antics law society scrapbook of yours? Dare I ask? Um, Are you willing to tell us? The cribs. Yeah, obviously. the lads. Yeah, the cribs. I'm going to get Wakefield's finest mystery jets. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a picture with um, Blaine. Blaine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look. All the indie boys. All the indie boys. Yeah, yeah I, I love this. This is right yeah. up my street. Um, very Kraftwerkian vibes. Uh, New Order, of course, all mm. over it, um, which is just great. And like a really good closer as well. It just completely takes flight. Um, yeah, this is the opposite of buff. What's the, is, there, <laughs> is there a word for that? Unbuff? Anti-buff? Fluff? anti <laughs> We'll go with unbuff for now, shall we? Number seven. (laughs) 
was described from Proof and Genius's fifth album uh, Set My Heart on Fire Immediately lads I know we're not talking about albums yet but no great, we're not greatest album title of 2020 oh yeah it's pretty yeah, good yeah, Set My Heart like, on Fire or so, yeah immediately I love the immediately so um, I think so I mean I was absolutely distraught devastated heartbroken when I saw that this song was not even in the top five because this was Probably, I would say, my top two favourite songs of this year. Um, my Cadris has been, I think, my hero of 2020. Um, I just love him so much. I think he is the warmest, most engaging artist of the last couple of years. Um, I know that these are very big statements here, but he was someone that... I loved getting to know um, more this year. Um, I saw him live in the Tivoli, I guess two years ago, maybe. It was phenomenal. It was such a captivating show. Um, And I had the pleasure of reviewing this album for The Quietest back in May when it came out. And I just loved, it was, I think, my favourite album to research. Um, Just because the songs, this song, this song in particular... I like literally I can't stop listening to it in my Spotify unwrapped this was my most played song he was my top artist I spent 1982 minutes listening to him on May 20 May 4th I listened to describe the most um are you okay <laughs> this is like <laughs> I actually don't need, no I am um, it's now it's a moment yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say that like I think that that piece you wrote for the quietest this year it's one of my favourite things you've ever written and it was very clear to me with literally each fucking word that was in there just how much of an effect that this mm. album this artist has had upon you and also it's funny because like we're in Adam's studio here and uh, he's playing each song for us off his incredible fucking oh, speakers. It just sounds oh, and incredible. hearing that come in, hearing I was like, the Jesus, just absolutely glitter. sludge of it, yeah, unbelievable. Great. But like, do you want to hear? Uh, so when I was working on that review, I obviously was like getting into the like I was knee deep in all the like instruments he was using, down to like um, so there's a really specific tone to the guitar on that song, yeah. Um, and I was just like kind of noodling around on the internet for a bit. And there was an interview with Jeff Tweedy about how the album, how the guitar sounds on Ode to Joy, which was the Wilco album from last year. And he was like, yeah, we actually got this like specific uh, tone because we were like, we played a gig with this guy, Perfume Genius. Um, and he was just like playing his guitar. We heard him playing and we're like, hey, what have you done to your guitar? Like, that sounds so nice. And basically they have like this rubber band that's like, underneath between like the strings and the bed and Jeff Tweedy robbed that from Mike and I was like that's pretty cool 
Yeah, that, that was nice mine. exchange of ideas. I um, like that. But yeah, I just think that this song is. Sorry, Dave just raised his eyebrows there. I was <laughs> leaning back in my chair. I was just enjoying like, the conversation. <laughs> I was I was getting out of the way of the conversation. Like no, I just got lost. It's, Sorry. <laughs> it's a testament to him as an artist that like he can try on so many different musical hats because this is just pure like alt country rock, so heavy, and it's mm. so unlike a lot of the rest of the album. And I know he's, you know, he talked about how this was very stripped back. It was like a simple ballad. And then those guitars just forced their way in kind of. And it's, yeah, it's something like the sound of the guitars. Actually, I realized this week because I got into a loop of listening to this again, a huge amount. It just has that effect on you. It's the exact same sound that my Nespresso machine makes in the kitchen. (laughs) And now, (laughs) (laughs) so that was another bonus on top of it. Of course, you rock an Nespresso machine. (laughs) It also reminds me of who? R.E.M., of course. Greatest American man of all time. My two like things, Nespresso, George Clooney, R.E.M. But yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like a country feedback vibe to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me in, maybe, but just that kind of transcendent heaviness, and it's such an unusual song. It's a bit of a miniature masterpiece. And for also, sure. the way it ends as well. It's, it's funny because when you said there, it's pure alt country. You had a slight breath, and, you, and I thought you were going to say it's pure alt, and I'm like, <laughs> like, like, like it's fucking trap like me, mate, like headstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny because like my entire note here is Mike Hadrius does it again. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure anyone does the wounded thing better than him. The Sonics are fucking next level. It's an exceptional mm. stunner. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Listen, Zara, you make a good point. Like should have been the top five. We have this every year. There's always these little kind of periphery edges. And speaking of our number six this year, we actually had a top six, and we had to do a revote, a reballot, because we couldn't do a top six discussion. And so our number six was kind of in the top five, but had to go out for different reasons here it is it's a tough one number six song of the year (laughs) (laughs) number six the killers my own soul's warning uh taking from taken from imploding the mirage um quite the comeback album um yeah very triumphant single um what a fucking stomp i know right yeah like it's i was surprised to see it first of all i didn't i wasn't sure it made the top 20 surprised it as high as high up as it was and I was like eh, I was like it's, it's a bit surface level the more I went back to the more I was like this song is fucking outrageous like this is one of their best songs right no yes uh, it's inc- are you it's terrifying serious? it's amazing this is one of the killer's best songs of all time yeah top 10 easy top 10 for sure I would say no it's absolutely the not. only problem I, th- I have with it is it's quite derivative of the war on drugs for sure right like I've done that thing where I've listened to this and in tandem with say red eyes and it it is slightly more surface level I think my one problem with this was lyrically 
Brandon's usually good for like big universal statements and like he'll have a line like he's not the world's greatest artist, but he might have a line where you're just like oh yeah that really resonates with me my own soul's warning always felt a bit awkward to me and like lyrically it's very flowery I did some digging and apparently it's like a lot to do with like the Mormon religion and there's like references to saints and stuff so it's clearly very personal to him but it Mm. just doesn't quite connect in that way but when it comes on the sheer power of it it's great they're back baby (laughs) (laughs) they're imploding the mirage I think I think that like this is just me kind of getting quite like even more cynical about like certain kind of bands because I like recently last weekend I was listening to like old killers so I went back to Sawdust which I think is the last great killers album <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I just love that you've like thought really hard about this great <laughs> um, yeah so I was listening to Sawdust and then I think during the summer I went through a Samstown revisit and obviously Hot Fuss and I think the craftsmanship on those songs are absolutely knock your socks off. Whereas when I was uh, lying in bed before I went to sleep last night, I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to the top six. Um, So I listened to the top six songs um, and this song came on. And even though I knew it was the killers, I was just like, do you know what? Like, if I just had the radio on in the background, this could easily be the war on drugs or this could easily be Bruce Springsteen. I just think it's really sad that the Two killers, extremely good acts. I mean... Uh, Bruce Springsteen is okay. The war on drugs are not good. A Deeper Understanding is an incredible album. And is, I did not yeah, like them. Some, I was I'm, like... I don't, I don't subscribe to dream. war on drugs at all. I'm not like their biggest fan, but I think no, they're... I'm not saying you are, but I think, like, I, I think Adam Grandesil, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Grandesil. I think he's got some serious fucking talent. Like, I'm not saying Helped he's Bruce Springsteen, album. but... And in fairness, like and it, fairness yeah. I did make that joke. I think when we did the review, I think I did even come back in off this and I was like, that's the war on drugs with... Like, yeah. it, it is it's kind of like yeah. a top man version of Red Eyes a bit. Yeah, and like to me, when I say it's in the top 10, I, I, I think it, like it's a solid number 10 for the Killers. Like, cause I think the, it's a really pathetic showing from the Killers. Oh, this is a preview of the top five Searching that could have been. No, like, I think this is... No, hold on. I think that this is very much... The Killers are an arena band now. They are striving towards, they're galloping towards anthems and they have very much followed a formula here. They've basically just like sneezed this one out. And I think that like, it's so ironic that this song has, what is it? My own soul's warning. This is the most soulless song that I have heard from the killers. It's a deep ode to Mormonism, as I explained earlier. (laughs) But I I can kind of, I can kind of see your point, sir, if it wasn't for the fact that like, like your argument kind of lives and dies by the fact that the killer, like the killers on their debut album were clearly galloping towards anthems right and trying to write hits they've always but I don't think there's been any creative shift has there? Yes so what are they attempting to do with this that they weren't trying to do with say Mr. Brightside or all these things that I've done which are like unabashed anthems like yeah but I think that those anthems were a bit more kind of connected to the time that they were making them in whereas I think that these ones I think that Brandon Flowers has seen that you know Springsteen revivalism is a huge thing and obviously Springsteen is you know going to get hits on radio obviously then the war on drugs kind of shuffled along did the same thing added a bit of Tom Petty in there and (laughs) sprinkle on a dash of Petty (laughs) just a dash of Petty please I just think it's really 
just from going from last weekend, and I think it was just because it was so recent um, in my mind that I was going down this path again of how electrifying the killers were like um specifically like the Lou Reed song uh Tranquilize that song is so good um I would argue as well I I also realized that I'm kind of nailing my hands here a little bit by talking about I'm about to say that their version of Shadow Play by Joy Division is far superior as well to the original when we're talking about a band who are trying to make their own identity but very much going through the ghost of another artist mm-hmm. but they've so, always but I think done that, they that, did that like, like, yeah but, but I think the Killers are a greatest hits band from, from, from their first album like, like that's like they're one of the most obvious like like even like this song for example I mean like surely you, like human right like this is a better song than fucking like human is. like bones like name bones me one class. name me one song off Battleborn I mean like it's just like 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 even Wonderful Wonderful like has tracks which are fun like the man but that's, that's like a fun song yeah. but it's a fun song but I, I actually weirdly enough like I mean like I completely see what you're saying but I do think this has heart I really do and like, I think Brian Flores believes every word of every killer song rock written. song he, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, he is that sure. guy I think yeah. he's just I think he's a showman Big yeah, time, yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously you're going to believe what he sells to you. He's good at it. Yeah, I'm not saying that he's not. I'm just saying that this song, to me, is just very soulless and it's very throwaway, and it's not one that if I was, um, if I was having a house party, which obviously I'm not doing because of coronavirus. <laughs> very good. good. Yeah, we can all agree yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Responsible. It's you know. not. I'm immediately going to half us. I'm immediately going to Jenny was a friend of what mine. What if Craig and I are there in the corner? We want to put on this song. I'd be like, yeah, grand, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> and we can dance. Okay, well, look, listen, this isn't the top five. So, like, like, like this is like this is a debate, and I'm well, happy to see have why it. it slipped out. Yeah. And oh. in fairness, I did think it was it wasn't quite top five material, but this has brought a lot of um, sunshine into my life this year. And uh, I do take your point, Sarah, but I think you're definitely veering more towards you love their kind of maybe British influences and the way that they're such an American kind of Vegas act that they bring <laughs> that mutation is quite interesting to you whereas when they just go we're doing Springsteen we're doing Tom Petty it's too ma- like you know it's too mainstream too fucking rolling down the highway <laughs> like yeah I just think that they had a bit more personality in the first couple of albums well Listen. Sorry, it's not top five. Sorry, Brandon. So. We could talk about it all day, but there's plenty of personality in our top five. And as a reminder, <laughs> we don't know what the order is here. We don't know who, quote unquote, won. We don't know what is five. We don't know what is three. We don't know we what is one. We might never know, depending on how the conversation goes. <laughs> it could very well be one of those nights, but we're going to find out. We're going to go through them in alphabetical order and we'll see what we have. All right, let's do this thing. First up in our top five. The top five. That's the 1975, and if you're too shy, let me know. Next up. They killed him once and they killed him twice. 
Kill him like a human sacrifice The day that they killed him Someone said to me, son The age of the Antichrist Has just only begun Air Force One coming in through the gate Johnson swore in at 2.38 Let me know when you decide to throw in the towel It is what it is And it's murder most foul That's Bob Dylan and Murder Most Foul. Next up. I have a love and it never fades from the space where we learn to be brave and face guards, grief and knaves and late days that can shame and break saints with the weight of the city's hate from the smother and state. But every cent we could take went on the art that we'd make. We'd go straight through the day on a rake and empty plates. Up to eight of us pulling ten quid to make something great. So our love will never fade. Our love will never fade. I have a love and it never fades. Now a long way from school days Sharing books at big break With the two of us And Barry and Craig Talking chills and pop First released in 2019 as part of a bigger project But officially released for the first time I guess technically in 2020 That is I Have a Love by For Those I Love Our fourth song in this top five was undoubtedly a huge breakout year for Phoebe Bridgers that song is called Kyoto and now the final song in our top five Strokes, 
And the adults are talking. Craig's microphone has fallen over <laughs> with the excitement due to rock star histrionics and heroics. Oh. Um, I guess, you know, like, as we enter this 12 Angry Men situation now, if anyone needs to hear those snippets again for whatever reason, if you need a bit of a refresh, we can call for that. We can do that. Where to start, though? I mean, like I say, the top five, it's a malleable situation. We want to get this down to a five, four, three, two, one. Ultimately, you know, whatever comes out at number one, like it's not like they're getting a fucking trophy or anything. So we'll see what we can do. It's hard. It's tough. These are three music critics. All of us love music. We love these songs. Maybe not all of these songs. And that's somewhere where we maybe we could start. Uh, anyone want to jump in anywhere? Like, any, like anyone got anything in particular they want to kind of just dive into and focus on first? Because I like I think it's a I think it's a fascinating list. I think it's a tricky one to try and define. And yeah, lads, I don't know. I'm kind of flummoxed, you know. Okay, yeah. When I saw the the top five, um, I was slightly flummoxed as well. I think we all were mm, because yeah, was, like we've yeah. such different tastes we've had different experiences throughout the year when the votes were totted up and there was no like politics at play really we're kind of like hmm okay interesting um I think I'll start with the 1975 okay um if you're too shy let me know I have had um a lot of problems with the 1975 as you all know um they've now released two albums in a couple of years quite long ones uh notes on a conditional form that's the title right from the most that recent That is correct, one, Greg, yes. <laughs> which was the first one? Um, a, brief, online, a, brief a Brief Inquiry, inquiry into online, online Relationships. That was yeah. last year, yeah. Which I think was the much better album for yeah, me. Yeah, for Although sure. I don't think... I think you liked the new one more slightly, although you didn't like either that well that no, much. No, no. I liked some of their kind of... No, I think I didn't really have a lot of love for the new one either. But this song, I think, was quite the gem because I think what it does is it doubles down on what actually makes the 1975 work. So I've had, <laughs> I find Matty Healy to be a massive irritant. I've had problems with um, a lot of their themes, um, their aping of other acts, but I think at heart they're a pop act, um, a throwback pop act. And when they do this kind of big hearted 80s sounding, bring in the sax, epic chorus stuff, there's nobody better in the world at it right now, including the 80s acts that they're kind of imitating, to be quite honest. It just sounds like updated versions of total classics and this is like this is like the er song of the 1975 to use that term I've been using a lot it's at the start a, of the year you put that one in the locker for quite some time um, yeah this is this is un- undeniable to me I'd like to not like this but I love it okay um, it was I saw that like this was the last big gig I saw before gig shut down. That must have been really hard for you. I mean, I wasn't in the mood for it, um, and neither was Maddie Healy. It was it was interesting because it was mostly the same show that they played the year before, which I thought was astonishing. Uh, but he was tired, and so was I. And it was weird to be in the three arena with like fucking thirteen thousand people. At one stage, I went to the bar, and I remember looking at my phone, and it was announced that there was like two people had died in Ireland of COVID nineteen, and I think that was like maybe a grand total of three or four at the time and I was like fuck this is getting like a, like this is sin- like this this is weird like I mean like like this feels like really harrowing and weird that I'm at a giant pop gig and it mm. feels like the world is about to shut down but we don't know if it will yet two days later we were at the fucking choice prize in Vicar Street like you mm. know people rammed into a giant into a small bar last hurrah really wasn't yeah. it it was the last hurrah and like, and like the big gig was the fucking 1975 one and I just wasn't in the mood I went with Andrea Cleary friend of the show and on podcast and 
she was well up for it but I and I was trying to like live vicariously through her and all of the other 1975 fans and I just couldn't really get into it and I had like you know like you know those feelings you have when you go to a gig and you walk down and you're just not there but you're there to be present and whatever but this song which I had seen a couple of live versions of I think in advance or maybe they played it which I'd never seen, heard it before but I was like fuck yeah <laughs> like it, listen it's superficial it's lightweight it's glossy, it's surface level, but it's incredible at being those things. And I, yeah, it's like, it's it's ironic in that 1975 way, yeah. but it works for them totally. I, sorry. No, 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 please, no, please. No, 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 I, I guess I'm just kind of like circling the point here that like, I don't think this is like the most emotional, uh, you know, under the skin song of all time or nothing. But like I said earlier on when I was talking about the likes of uh, Touche Moray or whatever I think you know there's places for this kind of stuff I think it manages to be postmodern without being too puckish about it and I think it's just flat out a really enjoyable pop song and I I don't know how good this year was for really enjoyable pop songs I think it was phenomenal do for you? Me. I think that this year was great for pop okay I'm not saying it was bad but I don't know how good it was I think it was a very good pop year where does this fit in for you? <laughs> um, well I guess kind of we you and Craig would know and Adam as well would know like that I staunchly I just am so not for this band at all I think uh, obviously I was on the show reviewed this um, uh, reviewed the previous album yeah yeah, a brief inquiry into online online relationships relationships, which you were not a fan of no to say the least and rightly so I think Um, I think that this is just this album this song is just a kind of continuation of what I felt about them um, I've talked to you Dave a lot about like this song and how I don't like it I don't like the lyrical themes um, and you have kind of continuously said to me oh but like he's subverting it like this is from a, a woman's perspective and actually I think Craig was it, I can't remember was it you or Craig who said that like they kind of thrive on irony just a few moments Sounds ago. Sounds like something I would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was certainly songs on that album that we reviewed where it's just like, there's one song in particular where he's talking about flat out murder. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting because he's twisting the thing and showing the ridiculousness of different perspectives. And I think you were saying, well, I think that's just his perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like last night again, when I was listening to the top five um I wanted, I really wanted to listen to these songs um, before I went to sleep because it was something I used to do when I was a teenager um, where I would listen to, um, after the Adrian Kennedy phone show would finish, I would stick on some yeah. an album or something. And it, I always just found that was a really great way to get something ingrained into my head. I always learned that if you're doing like your genius search or leaving search to listen to a French or Irish oral tape before you go to sleep because it gets in there. But anyway, um, but for me, I was just I was listening to this song in particular and I was just like, this clearly is something that the band want to project that they're being really ironic with. But for me, actually, it's just idiotic. Um, and I think that the the um, suggestion that it is from a woman's point of view like I just have a real issue with the the hook and the chorus of maybe I would like you better if you took off your clothes and I know that you have kind of posited that it's from a woman's perspective but I kind of just think that you know in a time and an era where there is so much conversation and discussion about it I think that this kind of discourse just needs to end and I think it needs to end in this kind of sphere, especially 
from an act that are so huge or have such sway and such an impression on their fans um, I just I really just I'm kind of blue in the face saying that I just think that this is a really problematic and dangerous band I really don't like Matty Healy at all um, I really wish I didn't have to talk about this band I really wish I didn't have to talk about this song I'm obviously going to do it because I you love the show yeah I love the show <laughs> and us and I love the show yeah um, but what discourse like if I can ask I mean like Considering that this, I I believe that the subject matter of the song is is referring to the Tinder generation and what do like Instagram generation. He's talked about it being about an, uh, a long distance relationship, so it's about partners not seeing each other and trying to do like intimate things just in the weird setting of like oh I have to find Wi Fi and get naked in front of you, which would be normal if we were together, but apart it's weird. But so I it's, think I think it also just uh, I don't know maybe I'm just like taking this up like too seriously or too um, uh, earnestly or whatever but I kind of just think the whole message of like really picketing or pushing it forward that like to really value someone like he's it's literally like maybe I would like you better if you took off your clothes that it's kind of like the sexualized nature of a partner is kind of preferred over like just um a personality kind of match but isn't that the case for a lot lot of people a lot of young people like a lot of like there is I think that that's a bit of a sweeping I think that that's quite a like a sweeping and kind of patronising statement I know that like I don't think it is I know I know what you mean I completely know what you mean but I I think that that, that, you know with the conversations that have been had in the last couple of years I think it's a great opportunity to kind of wipe that and to maybe but wipe what though I think people are like there are people out there who do just have a physical attraction to people and will engage in that kind of a relationship and there's no way around that. I mean, that's a primal thing. And I think ultimately, and if you want to just kind of look at it from a music point of view, what about Dua Lipa and a song like Good in Bed? I mean, like, what's the difference oh, there? Yeah, I, I don't really see any difference. Yeah, but I mean, like, 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 like yeah. I, mean, I, I, pr- I take your point, but like, I, I don't know if, like, what needs to be eradicated here? I mean, like, there's, I think that there's so many songs about sex and horniness out there and have been forever. Yeah, like, but I yeah. think that there is, you know, you can do it with nuance. Um, but this is 1975. I think there is nuance in this song insofar as what he's doing, I think, is being quite self-deprecating in this, I think. I don't think he's showing himself in a good light whatsoever. Mm. I think all the verses are him showing a kind of pathetic version of himself, which is probably close to like, what he is, like, reality. Yeah. or You know, he's a flawed human being or whatever, but it's he's clearly acknowledging that this is a slightly fucked up situation and this relationship mightn't be working. Um, his lifestyle isn't quite working. The modern world where we're all communicating, like, I think this is actually the one point on this record and maybe the previous one with some exceptions where that kind of like inquiry into online relationships actually works because it's quite fun but then there's deceptively some interesting stuff going on where I think there's a bit of kind of loading in there and a bit of seeking comfort and longing that is genuine and is beyond kind of the physical or sex and then ultimately it's just a kind of cool flock of seagulls john hughes pop song that works so there's mm-hmm. there's multiple things working for me with it um in a way that a lot of songs don't quite do it's just too derivative to me this to me is an instant five okay i mean at the same time, if I can challenge you... Go for a hun. Was it ever not going to be? I mean, like, was there ever... Is there the possibility that, like, 975 are so toxic for you that they simply can't write a song that will ever... 
I mean, there was like moments on their last album that I found, you know, obviously very um, irresistible from like their propensity for a hook, like Love It If We Made It. I thought that, you know. Yeah, which I think is a much better song than this. But I love the the power pop of this song. Yeah, I think the arrangement of that song is... It, it's very irresistible. Um, this no, I I like, and I'm not. I'm not just. Yeah, no, no, no I'm not. I'm not saying you like, are. Yeah. I'm just. Um, I just want to ask the question. I, I mean, just like, think that they're far too derivative. Um, I think that there's no imagination. There's no heart here. I think it's there's another, lots. Of, I think there's imagination. I, 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 I agree. Don't think like so at all. I think there's imagination to the point of like, who will we rip off next? Well, I mean, like, that's where but that's not uncommon. Goes, I mean, we talked about the killers five minutes source. ago. I mean, like, it's like. I, like nine seventy five. I mean, like, I, like based on what you're saying, and I think you know things that would appeal to them about me and Craig as well is that like I do think that the, like they you could make the argument if you want to get like really fucking pretentious about nine seventy five, which I guess they would invite you to do. You could make the argument that they're more of a creative agency than a band. You know what I mean? Oh, it, I like that. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, listen, quite sure what it yeah. means. Well, I'm on board, Dave. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the moment here, but yeah. like I haven't, I don't have a thesis. But I think ultimately, based on their kind of multimedia presentation and their shows and what they do and who they hire and who they have on stage with them, and even bringing a fucking saxophone into the song, everything is obviously incredibly impeccably managed and presented in creative control. They spend a lot of money on their show. They spend a lot of money on their image and their aesthetic. And that's kind of part of the whole thing. Um, and even uh, Matty Healy's performative nature, whether it's in an interview or whether it's on stage, like this thing is a machine, you know? And it's I like, do think they're a good band as well, just musically. Like I think there is a nice mix of the musicianship they're playing and the kind of more digital and sampling elements they're bringing into it, for sure. Uh, right. I like the ambience of the opening. I think Twigs is great on it. And I do think when they come on the radio, I don't go, oh, this is another band doing 80s stuff. I'm like, that's the 1975. I don't think you would admit. I think they've reached a point where they're not, you know, they have huge influences, obviously, from way back, but they don't feel like a derivative thing to me anymore. I think they've, they've I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, okay, well. I wh- think that it's, I think it's, you know, all the things that you're listing out of, they're like, um, what they inject their time and money into. I think that those kind of superficial elements, I think, really kind of mask a lot of what is actually then being put out, you know, the vehicle of the band. The vehicle, obviously, what's important with a band is their music, not how they look or how their social media is managed or yeah obviously a a show experience is really important but at the end of the day like you could go to a a gig and like an artist could just be on stage by themselves with a guitar and no one else and it can still have a great impact a great effect you could leave the venue feeling 10 feet tall or like really euphoric after that so I kind of think that like, I think it's just really classic 1975 that it's just like all of the surrounding aspects to their music actually kind of sometimes um, distract from how shit they are as a band, I think. Well, first Sorry. of all, I will say, I don't agree, I don't agree for, I don't agree for one second that they're shit. I do think that okay, like this, th- this album didn't, this, al- this album didn't do it for me in the way the previous one did and then going back they have better stuff but ultimately is that not what they are is that not the whole point of this band is to be reflective of 2020 to be reflective of they're a of, brand and not a band well that's the creative agency thing isn't yeah, but it I mean, a, like, if you're a brand and not a band what, what is the music then well I think the music does work a lot of the time there's too much of it there's a lot of noise with this act but ultimately yeah. you know I think that they have more to offer than 
that. I mean, I think, you know, like, like there's a very low ceiling there to be like, well, they've nothing to offer. They've no imagine, they, they've no heart. Like, that's very kind of like black and white. I think they've got more to offer. Uh, in terms of a band that are coexisting with them, I suppose, in this space, who've been around for a long time mm. and came at it from a much different point of view, the Strokes and the adults are talking. I did not see this getting into our top five. Really? Well, oh, it's the opener from the, the new Abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> new York's finest. Craig's boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is a good representation of the album. It feels classic Strokes, but it's updating things slightly. Um, yeah, I think... This could nearly be top 10 strokes, which means it mm. wins this immediately, right? I definitely, right? I I mean, definitely that's do the criteria. It's, top 10, it's in the top 10 strokes sphere. Yeah. Um, this really works for me because it's instantly catchy. You've got Julian in fine voice. Mm. I saw someone say the chorus is essentially like him humming a song that's stuck in his head, like a different song, which is great mm. and totally works. I think the nonchalance is back. But also you've got really weird structural stuff going on that feels like a natural fit for them now and we wouldn't have had years ago. So you've got those dueling guitars, which is like, you know, political people arguing, the adults are talking, so uh, you get what's going on with it. But it works really well as rock and roll. It's like a creative agency is what you're saying. (laughs) Exactly, Dave. Um, And I think it was just, it was just a great return. Mm. It it felt like Julian Casablancas was in a place where he could meld the Void stuff, his more alternative, he's a big alt guy, um, leanings and experimental stuff with what he thinks people expect from the Strokes and have the band get on board with it and bring their own signature sound. And finally, after maybe a decade, barring like the odd highlight here or there, it just worked again. Yeah. There's camaraderie again on this track. <laughs> you can hear it. There's chemistry and it's just, there's magic again. I definitely feel like I remember when I listened to The New Normal back in, was it June that I came out? It was like summertime, wasn't it? Yeah, start of summer, maybe. When I, when I listened to it, um, I really felt that this album was a far more natural third album for The Strokes. Okay. Like I think that if this had have come out after Room on Fire and even if there was like all that time, so Room on Fire could have come out when it came out, what was it, like 2000. Seven? Three, Three? I think, yeah. yeah. Three. Um, I would have been actually happy to have had that 17 year wait for this. Like obviously first impressions on uh, of or on? Of. Of. Many thanks, Craig. Um, I think that that album definitely has its fine spots, but it, it was definitely a middle child. Yeah. It was like completely a middle child where there was moments where I listened to this album and while it does, as you were saying, meld aspects of the voids, um, I just felt that like this was just a bit more of a natural Strokes album. And like you, like I got really excited by a lot of the songs. This one in particular on the album, I was like, oh my God, the boys are back. Like this is cool. In town. Is this yeah. the best song on the album though? Like No, I would say that Ode to the Mets is the so best song. So would I, yeah. I don't know. There's, uh, the thing, It's an, we'll, we might talk about the uh, album. Who knows? Potentially, yeah. Who knows? I guess we'll see. Yeah. But, you know, to use that phrase, like I think it's an album of moments. Mm. So I think this is representative, right? Okay, yeah. well, It feels on. like, this right. has all the ingredients of what's going right with the album for me. Right, okay. Well, again, I feel like we're kind of turning the clock back era by era here. You got your 1975 and your fucking 2020, like, you know, we're going back into the DeLorean again. Are we're we? going, yeah, like, like, like we're just or Express Elevator, but like, whatever, like Bill and Ted, whatever you want. But ultimately, I feel like it's like he got nine seventy five. He got the Strokes. I don't know if they were directly influenced by by Bob Dylan, but nonetheless, 
He's someone who's been this huge historical figure in music. Shows up at some point this year with a 16 minute and 55 second song about the murder of JFK. And it seemed like people welcomed that from him quite immediately. On paper, it's a hell of a fucking commitment to make. I will say that I don't think it feels that long. Which no. Is, no, not at all, yeah. Which is really interesting because I feel like it could be anything from an episode of this podcast to a song to a TV show to a film that on paper you're like, Jesus Christ, that runtime. And yet somehow you're like, oh, okay. Um, that wasn't quite the, you know, incredible appointment with my time that I thought it might be. Yeah. Of course, Murder Most Fell is the song. And ultimately, is it kind of in a league of its own? It, like like in it, for, for better and for worse, though? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I remember, I just remember, again, it was like a Fiona Apple moment of waking up to like new music and just being a bit flummoxed. And... Um, saw that Bob Dylan had a new song out. Like, or I saw that Bob Dylan was trending on Twitter and immediately I was like, I know. oh dear, Sorry. oh God. <laughs> um, but when I then saw that he had the new 17 minute long song, just arranged it up for a convenience. Like, That's fine. Um, I was really excited um, because I saw him in Kilkenny last summer um, where it was like the double kind of headliner of him and Neil Young and that show, like I've been a, a, a Dylan fan for a number of years from my like teen years but like that moment seeing him last year really changed everything for me because prior to that he had always been a very like like such an enigmatic figure such a huge voice so articulate so funny so 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 scathing and so sassy which I love. He's the sassiest. Yeah, he's the sassiest. Um, and then when this came out, it was just such a switch because he's that intimidating friend that you want to be around and you want to learn from. Like, I don't know if you guys have like older figures in your life that you like to talk to because they kind of bring a bit of the past into the present. Yeah. And for me, like this song was just such a huge moment of that Um like I did history in college, so I love any kind of historical um, weight to anything. And obviously a song about the murder of JFK is pretty phenomenal. But as you said, D- Dave, like this does not feel the, at all near the length that it is. And I think that that is down to like just the mood and the world and the atmosphere of it. It's so morose, yet it's really warm. It's kind of like, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but it's kind of the same thing over and over again, and yet it's not boring. It's no, kind it's of dirt like, yeah, yeah, but it's, exactly. it doesn't change. Like it doesn't do a lot of march it doesn't do a lot of different yeah. things. It's kind of just like a one act play or something. Like, but it's grip. It's so gripping. It is gripping. Yeah, and I think that like within the subject matter, which you know, turns from obviously like the grim detail of um, Kennedy's head being on his wife's lap and but then to like just like really pinpointing specific aspects of like like we heard in that clip um, 238 Johnson was sworn in and it really it really just transports you to a specific time and a specific moment and you can just like 
not to sound really pretentious about it, but like it is a really sepia coloured song. I oh feel. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this: Do you yeah. think a different artist would have the same? Does it need Bob Dylan to be giving you those details in order for them to be transported? Absolutely, those? I think so. Because I think also just like even down to like an aerial perspective, I just think the gravelly weight of his vocals. I think the gravelly, the aged tone of his voice, the tone of experience, just makes this all the more um, poignant. Um, And I don't think like even say, like say like a Leonard Cohen, if he was still with us and if Leonard Cohen came out with a song 17 minutes long about Dylan's death, I wouldn't, I, I think Cohen's grand like, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be going back to, I wouldn't, I actually, I wouldn't, even though Cohen is probably actually more of the kind of flowery of the two, I wouldn't actually care what Cohen had to say about it because there, I think he would dress it up in too much ceremony, whereas Bob just brings a lot more realism, but allusion to it. Yeah, he's an interesting character. He's kind of enigmatic. So when he mm. returns after such a long time, after going away and doing like standards and Sinatra songs mm. for years and people just look, well, he's just being totally indulgent. That's not what we want from you, but like it's what he wants to do. It's a fair play. To return in this way and deliver kind of a history lesson, but it also feels like myth-making. It feels like, certainly at the time it arrived, this weird, magical thing of like, he's pinpointing the moment the American dream soured and everything started going wrong for the world, maybe for society. And yet pop culture was coming in to kind of pacify people, help them through. And like, I love that line of like, you know, the Beatles are coming, they're going to hold your hand. Um and his connection to that time as well, because he's one of those people. <laughs> he's talking about influences that he used himself that were just on the radio. He's tapping into his love for kind of FM radio, AM radio. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's his delivery. It's who he is. But also I think you don't get anyone else writing a lot of those lines. It's just the details and the kind of the trickster nature of him as well. Yeah. Like he feels like he was the original troll. Who, like he's so venerated and stuff right but he actually feels to me like he's one of the more modern like throwback you know artists of the 60s and stuff like he feels quite just his outlook and his mindset feels quite modern right like he feels I, you know Leonard Cohn felt like that kind of older man um and a lot of Neil Young, they feel like from, they're from a different era. When mm. I hear Bob Dylan on this, he still could be like a 23-year-old sassy kind of spiky dude that arrived. It's funny that you mentioned Fiona Apple there because I didn't actually realise until this week when I read a new yeah, interview with yeah, her that she's on, she's piano. on yeah, piano on this. Yeah. yeah, And also apparently she was like knee-deep in the middle of her album, got a call and she was like, I can't, I'm, I'm too yeah. busy. And they were like, it's Bob Dylan. And yeah. She was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll be there. And I guess she did more because she does mention, she was like, oh, I'm only on this track. As in like, I feel like maybe she contributed other stuff, mm-hmm. but she's here for this. So that's a really interesting union in this year in particular, especially with Fetch the Bull Cutters winning the best album of the year in a lot of publications. Yeah. And this one being very, very well received. But let's again turn our attention to some new blood. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers, huge year for her. Kyoto. Uh, this song is very breezy. Um, initially wasn't really supposed to happen at all. I believe it was kind of like voices upon her to a degree. Her manager, I think, suggested that she needed like a radio song and this is what came out of it. Um, Zara Hedeman. Yes. Phoebe Bridges. Not a fan. Right. <laughs> Do you feel it's a hype thing or like what is it that you can't quite connect to? Because I, I like her. Hmm. I don't think she's incredible. I think she's mm. very good. I love this song. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's a tricky one, I think. And not to, it's a, she's a funny one to kind of dance around, I guess. Um, I wasn't really that big of a fan of even her first album. Um, I remember like dipping into it and like, obviously there was one or two points where I thought were pretty cool. Um, I think for me, just on a complete like, immediacy is that like I I just don't like her vocals I don't really like that affectation that she has so for me that's kind of obviously you you, you kind of have to enjoy as an artist's voice to be able to stay on um on a a, a jer- storied journey with them um I remember when Punisher was released and it was there was just so much hype about it and I was like okay I'm going to listen to it um, and also listen to it objectively. Like, I don't want to be like going in with a lot of preconceptions and just dismissing it. I will say that there were aspects that I liked, but with Kyoto, funny that you um, mentioned that anecdote about her manager being like, you need a radio song. So she did that in a weird way. Um I kind of feel as though she is in, okay, obviously a very different artist, very different lyricist, but I do kind of sometimes associate her astronomic rise to her position slightly similarly to the 1975 in a way that like, this might sound really sinister, but I just think there's a lot of calculation on her end. And I kind of got to that point just like through her like um the series of collaborations that she's had I don't really and also the collaborations that she has had say with Boy Genius with Connor Oberst with the 1975 with the 1975 as well she's on the new Kid Cudi album they're you know they're quite far reaching kind of they'll bring her into new audience kind of groups and stuff so for that kind of way it's just me being really cynical, but it's just like, I can't also ignore that. that well, yeah, it's, like, I mean, it's not that that doesn't exist. I mean, like, that's something we normally I, associate with the majors. And yeah. like, for example, like, you know, we talked about a Dua Lipa popping up on a Miley Cyrus track that just feels completely by committee. Yeah. Kendrick yeah. Lamar on a Bad Blood, etc. Yeah. Like, it exists in the indie world. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I don't know how cynical she is. I mean, you could point. Oh, to, I think she's. I, you could point I to her, her social media presence or yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, she knows how to speak to her fan base, yeah. and she does have a fucking a fuck ton of stands. But do will, we? You know, like we talk about maybe her and Taylor, where it's just like they're making all the right moves. But any of these artists that get to this point, they've kind of got to be behind the scenes somewhat cynical, right? I think. Yeah, are yeah, we being yeah. naive to be like? There, you know, so there's some people that are massive and totally. But is pure. it cynical or is it like? But I guess Bob good Dylan business. wasn't cynical. <laughs> wasn't or was? Or, sorry, sorry, Adam, I just walloped your mic. <laughs> uh, no, but Dylan did it on his own terms. Yeah, maybe and he's different. Still, different era. Do, he's still putting out music in 2020, and he's yeah. still revered. very different era though. Which uh, I, like. David, like, music is music though. But but okay. you can <laughs> continue. But, but I mean, Sarah, back in the sixties, if you saw Bob Dylan just like giving weed to the Beatles and yeah. like saying outrageous things with Ray Bans on, you might be like, "Oh, look, he's really milking it for the press." Do you know what I mean? So maybe we're just looking backwards a bit. And yeah, but I think that like him saying that like like milking the Beatles and the press <laughs> is kind of different to like really manipulating your craft to get popular. Yeah. But again, I mean, like, but it's... I also think sorry. Sorry. No, please. Um, just to answer your question, when you're like, 
my thoughts on Phoebe Bridges. I think she's extremely boring. Okay, that's interesting. So sonically, like, like it just do, it just doesn't work. It for does you. nothing for me. I the horns the is, are great on this. I think the song is a fucking belter. I, I I love the lyrics. I mean, like yeah. you know, I believe it's about a day off in Kyoto, as she says yes. herself, and it's it's also, I guess, much more about like her father. I think yeah, she's got has a very strange relationship. Who I think is uh, has had some troubles, and ultimately, this is very much you know that kind of very at the jugular level of how you communicate with someone who you are biologically tied to, and. Yet, you know, that tether is is in and of itself quite spiked. Uh, you know, that kind of big chorus line of, um, help me out here, Craig. Uh, it's... I'm going to kill you if you, if you don't, don't beat me, me to it. Which yeah. is great. Which yeah, it's very clever. awesome. Yeah. Like, and I think it's, I, I, I think it's really strong. It's funny because like, I, I think about Zara not buying into her shtick. Hmm. And I, I think about, for example, like, you know, uh, and this isn't necessarily fair on anyone, but I feel like, you know, you see like the thumbnail video of her in her skeleton costume mm. and it's like, uh, like, like there is, yeah, like Phoebe Bridgers, like whether, whether it's happened organically or whether it's happened through like very savvy business moves, she is kind of everywhere right now. Yeah. Um, maybe too everywhere for some people. Like, you know, here's a fucking... All the Connell stuff, the normal people thing that was a thing, wasn't it? Uh, it was just, oh, yeah. yeah. And here's yeah, the here's a fucking or... Goo Goo Dolls cover with Maggie Rogers if Trump doesn't win the election, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And again, like, I mean, like, you have, like, a Twitter account that is very meme-friendly, etc. But, like, it's I think when you... It's very performative. Well, I mean, like, it could be. I mean, like, or she could just be fucking... That could be her personality. She could be, like, a big personality who is fearless, you know? Um... I don't think she's the second coming of indie rocker folk, but I think that she's good when she's good, and I think the song is fucking great. Uh, on the home front, though, I guess the wild card of this bunch, who we haven't talked about yet, is mm-hmm. David Balf, aka For Those I Love. Uh, like I say, in 2019, he first um, emerged, so to speak. I mean, put up a project on Bandcamp, I believe, and people just started organically talking about it. Everyone from... District Magazine to Nile Nine to No Encore to various others and it became this story for anyone who doesn't know I feel like most people probably listen to the show do uh, it's funny because I saw Inamal Ali this week said I'm not even sure if I would describe what he does as music and I have seen people refer to him as a poet um, it's obviously spoken word heavy uh, it's kind of made up of productions that he has put together the project is of course a tribute to his friend Paul Curran with whom he was in a band called Burnt Out who had a couple of songs in the mid 2010s uh, which were very, very stark, including their imagery, these black and white videos exploring a just dissolved Dublin, a destitute place, and the kind of burning pain that can bring the individuals who reside within it. Uh, I spoke to Dave Balf last summer for an interview that actually never ran, and the reason it never ran was because uh, me, he, he and I kind of became friends. I knew he was getting signed. I knew he was kind of like, or at least was being kind of hunted by UK management and stuff. And he was talking about doing it. And eventually, like when I was on the verge of publishing a long interview and I was also going to run it on the podcast, he asked me not to. And he basically was like, the reason is I'm taking everything down. Uh, the project's going dark. It'll come back at some point. And it did. It's coming back now. It's come back in 2020 properly. Uh, marketing campaign behind him. And again, there seems to be like an immense amount of goodwill. I see the same thing with Nilo. There's just like a strange kind of thing within Dublin and with Ireland where people are just like saying, yeah, that guy, uh, that guy says what I'm feeling and that's kind of what I get from this it's funny because like I think with uh, in particular Dave Balf's style which is incredibly raw um, if you liken him to say like an Emmett Kerwin or maybe a Fontaine's DC I don't like what they do that much it doesn't actually speak to me 
it never really has. And I struggle with poetry. I struggle with spoken word. I can recognise the value of it and the impact it can have with people. But I swear to God, the first time I threw on this album, and it was actually the artwork and the name of the project that appealed to me the most, and I actually anticipated I'd be listening to something of a more kind of converged style, kind of hardcore thing. I didn't realise what it was going to be. It was a bolt of electricity, which I still feel when I hear this song and when I, and when I when I hear his music. Um, and I'm aware that, like, you know, we've talked about the acts like, say, Phoebe Bridges or whoever. You know, you wonder if a backlash is imminent because there is so much kind of goodwill. There is so much kind of, I guess, natural kind of word of mouth. And I've even had somebody message me when I put up an Instagram story about him being like, I don't get it. And I'm like, that's cool. I do. <laughs> um, yeah. And I fucking love it. I think he is, without question, the most exciting thing to come out of Ireland in the last few years. And I know that's a big statement. And I also, I run a mile from hype. It drives me fucking crazy, whether it's Irish or international. And I think even especially when it's Irish, because, you know, we talked about it recently, Craig, there is, there's definitely a thing in this country where we like, we build people up and that's great. But sometimes it kind of feels a bit like, well, you know, just because it's from here doesn't necessarily mean it's good. But like, you know, even to paraphrase Balf, like, and, you know, like, what is it? Fucking, um, uh, help me out here. It's, uh, being from a world that you don't understand unless you're from it or something. It's just like his mixtape. But ultimately I feel like, um, I think that this is an individual thing. I think that there's nothing like this. I can totally understand if it doesn't speak to you, but I mean, unquestionable for me. Like, you know, it's like the album was supposed to come out this year. I'm glad it's coming out in a few months time. I think it's a better place for it. And yeah, I don't think it's flawless or nothing, but I think on an emotional, intrinsic, physical level, very little has spoken to me like this does. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, definitely proximity kind of breeds complexity because you're kind of, can you get distance from how hyper-personal this is and just kind of look at the music? And it is hyper-personal and it's an amazing testament and kind of monument to his friend and the people he loves. Uh, it's, yeah, when you stick it on, it's almost like you're not listening on headphones or on speakers. It's like he is in the room. Mm. It is very... I, I kind of feel like I have to microdose it. Like, I do not stick it on that often because it's quite powerful. It is predominantly spoke, spoken word for sure. Um, it feels like you're eavesdropping um, at times. I, I don't know how much I I enjoy it with every listen. Like, it's a powerful thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. He's got a huge amount of potential. It's 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 a brilliant piece of work. As a song, I'm not sure it's as quite as accomplished as some of the other songs here. Um, and it's not something I get as much out of as other people might, I think. I would be on a very similar train to you, Craig. Um, I really admire this work. I think it's so comprehensive. It's such a powerful um, song. Um, last night, again, going back to my late night listen, um it really, it was a really jarring listen when you listen to those five songs together. And that is kind of a combination of just the level of intensity, the level of emotion in it. I think that the the pulsating keys throughout it that really drive the arrangement are, just, are really great. And I, I just think they're such a highlight. Um, he does, the Balf does this thing as well of like, Obviously, this song is so specific to him 
and it obviously bears a lot of emotion, a lot of meaning to him and his kind of close group of friends who also would have been um, friends with Paul as well. Um, and even like, I've, I've never met Paul, but I feel like I know him through this song. Like, um, And I think, you know, as you were saying as well, Craig, with the like, the closeness to proximity, yeah, I was really endeared by like certain aspects of the song, like a big break, like brought me back to school. Like, um, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's many other, I don't think England or America have little breaks and big breaks. So I think to have those really specific details, it's it's really nice to have. Um, and while kind of death is such a universal theme, obviously everyone kind of experiences, everyone has their own relationships to it. Um, people lose people who are very close to them all the time and will have kind of songs that they go to. Um, I do think that this song has a reach for like, say, people of our generation, um, especially kind of within uh circumstances as well I think that this is such an impactful song but like you Craig like it's not one that I stick on all the time um, it does while I really admire it I really respect it I think it's like the production on it as well it's just so good do I think it's one of the best songs I've heard this year I definitely think it's one of the most impactful uh, like emotionally wrought for sure is that always what I want to is that always going to be my immediate like oh I'm going for the bus now I'm half asleep I just want to listen to something to kind of bring me to bring me to life um it's not that song it is a it, it is a song again to go back to the word specific it is a song for specific moments does that denigrate its worth no absolutely not um it's funny you mentioned the bus thing because I was on a bus earlier and it was packed full of people and it was very, very stressful and I, mm. I whack this up full blast <laughs> to actually take me out of the situation. Yeah. Okay, look, I'm I'm good at putting 975 at number five um, because I feel like, and I like the song a lot, but I do feel like it is surface level. I do feel like it is, you know, for them, like it's not like, it doesn't have a lot of emotion to it. I like the song a lot. I think it's a banger. I've had it on repeat. It's in my top 100 of the year, mm. etc. Um and I'm not about to put us into like a two against one situation where like, you know, you're obviously out on it. Craig and I like it a lot, but like I'm comfortable with it being a five. To me, it felt like a five even when I saw it in the list, regardless of... Dave, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> and I walk if we have... I, I agree. It's, I think it's a five. I love it as a pop song. It's probably my second most listened to song, um, maybe of the year. Wow, um, okay. Well, yeah, I've been playing it a lot. But when I look back at 2020, I don't know if this is going to feel like representative. I don't know if it's going to have the legs. It is just a pop song. It's that kind of sugar rush thing. So I'm happy with it at five. Yeah, All right, I'm so happy. 975, if you're too shy, let me know as your number five. What's number four? I would say Phoebe Bridges. But like, again, we're in a position here where it's like, I think you're out on both those songs. I, I think it's like... No, it's not. Hold on. It's not that I'm out on both songs. I just think from the five, I just do actually think it is, makes sense that it's 1975, Phoebe Bridges. My, sorry, my personal number three then would be For Those I Love, then The Strokes, and then it would be Bob. That's just me. Craig? Yeah, I'd be thinking, 
I, I feel like Kyoto might be the better written song than I Have a Love. Um, although is it more powerful? Maybe not. But personally, I would have Phoebe Bridges ahead. Like, I just think that's a real standout in that album. An album that didn't totally work for me. Like, I thought it was quite one-paced and melodically similar. But that is just a gem. Um, well, let's sort out the four and three before we get to Okay, I, I think I have to have I Have a Love three or four. Hmm. Right. Just for me, it's... I think it's three. I really do. I really admire it. I think it doesn't It doesn't emotionally impact me personally. It doesn't change mm. things to me. And also the fact that, and this is kind of not quite semantics, but like it did come out last year. I listened to it a lot last year. So my association with it isn't quite this year. Yeah, I appreciate that. that. Maybe not. I mean, that. I don't think it's a weekend blinding light situation where like, like this, it was... Like that song came out in 2019. It got picked up in 2020 because it became like a fucking meme and became whatever. And that is like obviously the best song in the year. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's why it's in the box by Roddy Rich. That's why it's <laughs> our number one. Um, I mean, look, I, I like Kyoto a lot, but again, I feel like it, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a great song. I love listening to it, but it didn't take me somewhere. It did at times, like you know, she's very descriptive of where she is, but ultimately, I do think I have a love is legitimately like it is the fucking marker. It is the announcement, the emergence of a potentially incredible, like, generational talent. And that's why I'd be like, it's number three. Okay. And I quite agree, but I, mm. I think pairing the 1975 and Phoebe Bridgers is, that makes sense to me, and I'm not going to fight you, Zona. Right, so 1975, number five, Phoebe, number four... And for those who love them, yeah, yeah that, that, that that makes sense. So, in fairness, I do think that like the Strokes and Bob Dylan during the course of the first conversation emerged as probable contenders in their own right, due to a lot of kind of specifics. But like, I think it's undeniable. I don't know if it's undeniable. I think it's undeniable. I don't think it is undeniable. I mean, I think it's got it's a lot Bob, going. Isn't it? it's Bob. <laughs> but like, it's got one hundred percent. It's got a lot going for it. But but and like and again, like you know, you got the Strokes issue of like, is this even the best song on the album? But like, I don't know. There's something to me and like, David. Call, call, no, call me a fucking like, call me a snob if you want. But like, Bob Dylan, seventeen minute song. Is that really? The, I mean, I'm gonna stick on that, the adults are talking a lot more than. Is, is that really the no <laughs> encore song of the year? Like, I mean, like, like, is it? When like, I fir- when I first listened when I first listened to that song, I was like, I think this is the biggest achievement of the year, and that was like back in my April. I was like, this mm. is going to be the song that we come back to wow, it just really? felt like mm. a seismic it's monumental it's an artist that's yeah. you know how many more albums are we going to get from Bob Dylan um, it's a summation of so much but it speaks to now I think it feels like a very 2020 song yeah I have obviously listened to the Alistair talking way more well it's a bit more immediate to be fair yeah those guitars, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, look. I find, mys- I find myself in the, in the position of being like, "Oh Christ, it's Bob Dylan, isn't it?" Because, like, but I, why do you feel like that, David? Because I do. I just feel like uh, the David, by the way. <laughs> I feel like I just feel like it's like it's not it's not very sexy, is it? You know, like it, 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 it's not a very like exciting like pick, is it? Like, and I, yeah, I think it is an exciting. I don't know. Pick. If I'm excited. It is. I think it's really exciting. <laughs> Are you excited? Yes. Are you excited? Yeah. Listen, I think lyrically it's like a knock stripes off everything else on this list. And then musically, it's just got that ephemeral, magical kind of, it comes floating across like the river sticks or something. It's got Fiona Apple on bloody piano. Do you know what I mean? It's only bloody Fiona Apple on piano. (laughs) 17 minutes and it doesn't outstay his welcome. It's... Yeah, look, listen, I mean, like, I know, I know, I know, like, I'm fighting against the inevitable here. I know it's number one, but, like, I just, there's just a, there's just a part <laughs> just of me that is, like, yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, like, I just find that I'm, like... Look, on you get there, to the point but, where you but, accept it. But yeah. is there, but, it, but like, what you just said there, is, is there something kind of almost, like, 
almost like kind of passively inevitable about it being number one? Does it speak to maybe not an, not an incredible year for songs? Like, like No, like, it doesn't, David. It's, I think that the the quality of the songwriting here, the quality of the music. I don't mean to demean here. this as a song, but no, I mean, I like, know it, what you're saying. is it so far ahead of all the other songs yeah. that you're like, well, that's not incredible. I think in any year this would... yeah. Wow. Stand yeah, out. Except that this is an astounding composition. I'm sitting here accepting it, aren't I? Like, <laughs> I, like I'm, I'm not I'm not pushing oh, back. is in despair. But yeah, look, listen, I mean like I just feel like I I think the song is great, but is it a case of like I would I would go and see that in a fucking art gallery? Yeah. And I'd go home, but I would never like, you know like how often are you gonna throw this on? I've thrown I it on quite a lot. Actually. 17 minutes. Yeah, as you said earlier, it doesn't feel it. It doesn't, but it's also like it's a like it's it, it really is like a well I'm in this now, you know, like like and I I know I'm like throwing out contrarian points here. Yeah. But I'm talking about a contrarian, so I feel like that's fair. I think you just need to accept the process and Bob Jones. This is one. just like like you're trying to hypnotize me into like being like no, no, I'm not your egotist. Man one. is a Nobel Prize winner, Dave. Okay. <laughs> the lyrics, yeah, that is true. Um So it's official. I feel like it's the number one. It's official. I feel like it's the number one, yeah. Dave, do you want to say it? <laughs> uh, no Encore's top five songs of the year. 975, If You're Too Shy, Let Me Know at number five. Phoebe Bridgers, Kyoto at number four, much to Craig's chagrin. For Those I Love with I Have a Love at number three. The Strokes and The Adults Are Talking at number two. And the No Encore song of the year for 2020 is Murder Most Foul by Bob Dylan, which we will not be playing out because it'll add 17 minutes to the show. Bob is invited on the show to accept the award oh, in the New Year for sure, right? I'll have a few questions for him. Yeah. Look, look, I, I sound like, I, like, like I'm against this. I'm not. I think it is a great song. I just think it's very... It's you gotta be in the fucking mood. <laughs> like you really I feel have like to this be. This is my like our greatest achievement. Our of greatest 2020, achievement. Craig. I mean, Dave, you like the song. I do like the song. I like it a lot. <laughs> like, I, think, I, think I mean, this speaks to these kind of lists where it's just whatever list you read, uh, listener. You know, this is there's a lot of compromise that goes in. You know, it's very seldom that someone's favorite will top it, right? Yeah, and that shouldn't necessarily be the case. Although yeah. I feel like it has happened with Zara Hedeman's favorite song of the year. Am I wrong? Is this your favorite song of the year? Is this like your favorite song of the year? I think this is my number one. Yeah, well, well I stand corrected. I'm <laughs> 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 not bombshell. Okay, uh, we'll put our we'll put our playlist of twenty songs up on Twitter, um, and I'll probably do like a Patreon write up on it as well. Maybe throw our individual ones in there as well uh, over the coming days or whatever. We'll see what we can do. It's Christmas week. In the meantime, uh, my name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There have been No Encore. That's our songs of the year. Albums coming in a couple of days. Or probably now. After <laughs> See ya. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.